Hello and welcome to episode 211 of the Samuel and Manuel Movie Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sam Reimer. And I'm Manny Manuel. Today on the podcast, we are starting a long grind of uh, of 13 movies plus one review episode. Yes. 14-part series Wow. on the year 1992. I had to look at my screen to remember what year it was. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, 1992. We're getting started with it today. Uh, Scent of a Woman is entry numero uno on yep. the list. Um, this is this is one that I think I have. I, I didn't really have an idea of what it was. I knew a lot of the reputation surrounding it, but yep. uh, it'd be, it's one I hadn't seen and was uh, was eager to do but i guess i'm getting a little ahead of myself here we have a couple of things to cross off the list first before Indeed. we get into scent of a woman first of all uh for the second week in a row we had a spectacular debut yeah from a from a past and future guest a pfg a new pfg yeah uh, ray salmond joined us last week knocked for- it out of the park for uh for some like it hot yeah yeah, it was great. He had a really good time. I'm glad. I, I honestly, I could tell. Yeah, that's always great. I mean, usually we can tell with the people who are on the show. We we're just shooting the shit, having a good time here. Yep. We all love talking about movies, of course. Um, but yeah, with Ray, I really felt like you could feel that with some like it hot, he had this personal connection to it, and that always makes it that always makes it a lot of fun. Totally. When somebody brings us a movie, they're like, "Hey, this means something to me. I want to talk about it with you guys." That's always pretty cool. For yeah. Us. Yeah, and it did. It was really important to him, and I. It was really nice to to hear his opinions on the movie, that were ideas I hadn't really thought of. Yeah, totally. Uh, and uh, yeah, and it was just obviously I was ecstatic because I got to hang out with one of my best friends. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know I had met Ray briefly a couple of weeks prior, but for the most part I've just been hearing about this Ray, who's your best friend for a long time, or yep. among your best friends. Uh, and I had never really had the the pleasure of meeting him, and he's uh, yeah, he was absolutely delightful. Yeah. So thank you, Ray, for joining us. Uh, if you haven't listened to that episode yet, I I highly recommend. That it. was a, it was a good one. It was a good one. It was a good one. Um. So uh, as we move on from Ray, uh, we kind of put off uh, this part of the show for a few weeks because we had guests because we wanted to keep the focus on them since it was their first time on the show. But we lost uh, a couple people uh, in the film industry. Um, one very important person, and the other one a little bit on the fringe, but important to me. And so we're just going to pay uh, pay tribute uh, to them both today. The first one uh, is Ray Liotta, who passed away uh, last week, I believe at the age of 67. And uh, it was sad to see him go. He's been in quite a few films um, that that uh, that mean a lot to me, <clears throat> and we're going to uh, just kind of give a little shout out to uh, some of his performances. He hasn't been as much in your film history, Sam. Yeah, I've got a I've got a little bit of experience with Ray Liotta. I have, of course, seen Goodfellas. Yep. Um, the only other two movies that I saw. Um, that had him in them. Well, I'm just pulling up his filmography again. I've seen Blow before, but I don't remember a ton about it. It's some time ago now. The only other two ones I feel really comfortable with um, talking about, other than Goodfellas, would be one we reviewed for the podcast, which was Place Beyond the Pines, yep. um, which he has a small part, but is uh, is quite menacing in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, this excellent movie from 2019 called Marriage Story, which yeah. uh, you and I both really liked. And his character in 
both of those movies are uh, just so playing the asshole perfectly to a T and someone who's menacing and overbearing. Um, you just had he had a knack for for that kind of for that kind of role, and at least in my experience. Yeah. So <clears throat> when we do these uh, in memoriams, we like to count down our five favorite roles that they've had. Mm-hmm. And my number five is his role as Jay Murata in Marriage Story. Uh, he is great as a divorce lawyer who has no problem being a dick and plays him well, plays off well with Adam Driver. Uh, I enjoyed him in that in that role. Yeah, and the movie itself does a good job showcasing of why a person like that would succeed in this profession. Um, but yeah, that that whole dynamic with uh, multiple divorce lawyers that Adam Driver's character meets with um, works really well because Ray Liotta does such a good job of playing a guy who is simply playing the game. He's not taking into consideration the everybody's feelings and the feelings of the husband and the feelings of the wife and the feelings of the kids. His only, the only thing on his mind is how do I win? And he does a really good job with that portrayal. Yeah. Uh, my number four pick for uh, Ray Liotta is he played Frank Sinatra in an HBO film, the rat pack. Oh, okay. It chronicles kind of the rat packs popularity and their, shenanigans behind the scenes it the movie itself is fairly entertaining he's okay as frank sinatra kind of embodies that swagger Mm. that sinatra had but he doesn't kind of look like sinatra so it was always kind of hard to make that connection um but it's a movie i really liked and i had to i had to put on the list in that movie i don't want to sidetrack away from Ray Liotta but Don Cheadle plays Sammy Davis Jr. and he's really fucking good mm. yeah that's good casting yeah um, so uh, his role is Frank Sinatra Rat Pack that's my number four which you haven't seen mm. um, my number three is another one you haven't seen and that's Shoeless Joe Jackson in Field of Dreams yeah which is, that, will... is that gonna be our that's next, next year that's next year yeah 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 because it's an 89 movie so we wouldn't get to it <laughs> for years literally about a decade if we yeah. continue with our planned kind of rollout that we're doing. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's time to rectify that uh, uh, gaping hole in your uh, cinema history mm-hmm. by uh, by filling it. But his his turn as Shul- Shoeless Joe Jackson in Field of Dreams is lovely. It's lovely. Um, I won't talk about it too much because we'll be reviewing it next March, April. But, uh, yeah. Number two on my uh, Ray Liotta favorite film list is a movie I don't think you've... I'm going to say 99% sure you haven't seen. And I'm going to go 90% I don't think you've heard of. Hmm. And it's the movie called Narc, where he plays Henry Oak. You can now be 100% sure that you've never heard of it. Uh, He is fucking awesome in this movie. Playing... uh, I think he's a detective... The movie is about uh, narcotics officers. Uh, it stars uh, Ray Liotta and Jason Patrick. Uh, it's the movie. I don't know if it's his feature film debut, but it's the movie where uh, Joe Car- the director Joe Carnahan, made an impact with me. There's this incredible opening scene, um, kind of like a drug bust that's shot so incredibly well. 
uh, Ray Liotta as Henry Oak is this incredibly menacing figure of, of hard justice. It's a very powerful film. It's one I haven't seen in a long time, but I desperately want to revisit. Um, I should check and see if it is on anything because it's one I would love to watch again very mm-hmm. soon. Uh, for Joe Carnahan, Blood, Guts, Bullets, and Octane is the only uh, feature film he directed before Narc. Never heard of it. Yeah. He also directed a movie which may appear on our uh, on our current movie draft. Oh. I'm trying to think of a color. Hmm. Oh. Oh, is it about animals? Yes. Yeah, that's a good movie. I, I like that movie a that, lot. That movie's that's fucking awesome. Full disclosure, that's high on my list. Is it really? Yeah. Wicked. Yeah. Wicked. <laughs> Wicked. <laughs> I'm very happy. I'm very happy. Uh, and then my number one Ray Liotta role and film is, of course, Henry Hill and in Goodfellas. Naturally. He no is surprise there. Fucking unbelievable. That movie is unbelievable. That's uh, late next year. That's 90? 90. Yeah. Not even late. That's like next summer. We'll, we'll get to review that. Can't wait for that. I know. I've probably only seen Goodfellas maybe twice. Yeah, excited to give it another go. Yeah, I rewatched it recently, and by recently, like within the last year. Mm-hmm. He is so good in it. The movie is obviously a classic, and uh, yeah, he is. I think he's. I think really it was underappreciated in that movie, because of, because of Joe Pesci, because of Joe Pesci, and because of Robert De Niro, and because of Martin Scorsese. Yeah. I think I think he's underappreciated at what he's actually doing in that movie. So I'm excited to revisit it. Um, so yeah, a tip of the cap to Ray Liotta. Thank you for all you've done. Uh, the other person we lost is a character actor. Someone that didn't really lead a lot of films. But he has two movies that mean... One movie that means everything to me. Mm-hmm. Another, that we've reviewed. That we've reviewed. Another movie that I guarantee you probably haven't heard of, which I'm excited to kind of talk about. Um, and then he had a couple other smarts. Uh, small s- smarts. That's uh, that's a, a contraction of small parts. <laughs> smarts. Uh, and the man is Fred Ward. He is a delight when he's on screen. He going through his filmography. He's been in a lot of things but nothing where he's really been the lead and he's the type of actor who just when he has a role he just does it perfectly he's i don't think he's i I haven't seen everything he's done but i don't think i've ever seen him in a movie where he was bad he's just a perfectly great character actor who does well with small parts my, I only had, I, I, going through this filmography, I'm only going to do a top four. Uh, my number four movie for Fred Ward is where he played Earl Edwards in Road Trip. Mm. Have you seen Road Trip? I have seen Road Trip. Been a minute. This, this was uh, a movie that came out uh, in the heyday of the sex comedy. Yes. Uh, post-American Pie. Well, not the, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. The, uh, I would say the resurgence. Yeah, right. Okay. Because Animal the, House and The uh, heyday and would be the 80s. Yeah, yes. For sure. That's, uh, okay. that's the real heyday. Yeah. So yeah, the resurgence of the American sex comedy was yep. definitely uh, 
in this era, the late nineties, early two thousands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, uh, I, Again, don't remember a ton about this movie, but I've certainly seen it. I I really enjoyed this movie. Uh, I had a good time with it. He just plays one of the characters' dads. He's got a small role, but he does just fine in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, my number three is a movie I haven't seen in well over 20 years, um, and that's where he plays uh, real-life uh, astronaut Gus Grissom in the movie The Right Stuff. Mm. Uh, an epic retelling of how America got and built its space program using test pilots and stuff like that. It's a really great movie from my memory of it, from when I watched it. Like I said, I probably haven't watched it since the 90s. And it's got some really great actors in it, um, like Ed Harris. I fucking love. We, we definitely love Ed Harris. Yeah. Um, I would really, really, really like to revisit that movie. Um, but I remember him as Gus Grissom. Uh, he's really solid. Uh, and then we're going to get, we're here at the top two, and these are the two movies that I love him for. Number two is a movie that I'm pretty sure you've never heard of. It's called Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins. You are correct. He played Remo Williams. Oh, really? Now, I haven't seen this movie in a long time. It's an 80s action movie. But the one thing that I always loved about Remo Williams is that he's the one that dodged bullets first, not the Matrix. <laughs> and he would do this stupid... He learned how to dodge... He's got, he's got a, a Chinese uh, martial arts mentor that teaches him how to dodge bullets. I barely remember the movie, but what I remember the most is that he would do this kind of like side to side thing even though it's an audio podcast Sam can see it and that's all it matters yeah, to be just rocking back he would do forth, this and this is how like he would he would like dodge bullets yeah. he'd do this and then you would shoot and he'd be able to dodge it I, even back then I knew how cheesy it was I fucking loved it Remo Williams The Adventure Begins the best part about that a title there was no other adventure it, <laughs> it was the only one it was the only one they did um, but a he failed would, cinematic universe all the way back in 1985. Yeah, but the movie was a lot of fun. I remember it being a lot of fun because of Fred Ward's passing. I've added it onto my Amazon wish list. I'm plan on buying this because I I want to watch this movie again. Mm. I know I'm probably going to be disappointed, but like I haven't watched Remo Williams probably since the early 90s when I probably rented it a couple times on video. Mm-hmm. But I loved this movie. I did. Which leads us to his number one film. Which I should have looked up when we reviewed it. Uh, I can get that for you if you want. I'm going to go episode 145. It's going to be my guess. You are a little late. I'm a little late? Yeah. Okay, what is it? 125. 125. Yeah. That was our Halloween episode for 2020. And that movie, I think, is my number 20 film of all time. It's on the list, anyway. I can pull that up for you, too, if you want. <laughs> I got it right here. Yeah. Uh, top 20. Oh, it's number 19. Number 19. Was well, 20 <laughs> Toy Story 3? Yeah. Wow. I'm just looking at the list. I don't know how I'm going to kick anything off. Because I'll tell you right now, I think I need to get book smart on that list. Um, That's high praise. I, I love it. I know. Two to 2019's on there. That and uh, Endgame. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> Tremors is the movie 
that we were discussing, and he plays Earl Bassett. A movie I just fucking adore. I, I, <coughs> sorry, everybody. I absolutely love that movie. It's a, what's, I don't know, a camp horror comedy classic. That's perfect. It's so much fun. Uh, I think you gave it a three. I did. Okay. You're correct. Yeah. Um, my hopes and hopes, I'd hope that we get a four out of you, but a th- I'll take the three. At least mm-hmm. it wasn't a two. At least it wasn't a Roadhouse or a Lost Boys. And oh, man. Break my fucking heart. Um, basically, the idea of Tremors, the, the, the joy of Tremors is, one, the film's tone knows exactly what kind of movie it is, but the reason to watch this movie is for Fred Ward and Kevin Bacon. They are having so much fun. And it is apparent on screen these guys have incredible chemistry together. It's kind of a shock that they didn't ever do anything else. Like, not like a Tremors follow-up, but like another movie with the two of them. When you get chemistry like that, you kind of, especially back then, you want to, you kind of want to bank on it. Guess, did Tremors do well at the box office? I can't remember. That's a good question. It definitely had a massive life on home video. But I'm going to guess it probably did okay at the box office. Uh, yeah, where is this on IMDb? I hate the layout here. There we go. Okay. Yeah, I've got uh, I've got the numbers here. Okay. Budget of, hold on, let me see if I can guess this. Mm-hmm. Budget of around 10? 11. 11, okay. And I'm going to say it probably made a profit. So let's say it made 33. Yeah, you're, you're far off, unfortunately. Did not do particularly well. Uh, gross worldwide, 16. Okay, so, so yeah, it was a box office bomb then. Yeah, but, but home it, video, it absolutely it, killed. It fucking crushed it, yeah. as evidenced by the six sequels I think it made. Yeah, which were all like straight to video, I think. All straight to video, but all still from, if they keep churning them out, they are got to be doing good. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, I forget if we talked, we must have talked about this during the Tremors episode, but do you have any strong feelings about the sequels? I've never watched them. Oh, okay. I've never watched them. I... I've never watched them because it's not the same. It, like Fred Ward, I think only returns for one or two of them. Mm. Kevin Bacon, obviously for none of them. And I don't think any of the, like the director didn't go to direct to video. Yeah. And I have no idea about the writers. So I never had any desire to. Usually when you see huge turnover on a staff before a sequel, that's a sign the, to abandon ship. Yeah. And it's, I, it's so it's so snobby of me to kind of poo-poo at a direct-to-video when that's basically what streaming is. Yeah, but back then it was different. Definitely like, different. They, like it's certainly a different connotation. Direct-to-video versus direct-to-streaming is like a completely different ballgame. Yeah, the only different... Well, <laughs> with the exceptions of Netflix and Amazon Prime's Oscar plays... The only difference between direct-to-video movies and the Netflix movies I've watched is the budget. Mm-hmm. They haven't been good. Like, I'm sorry, The Adam Project is not a good fucking movie. No. And the only thing that makes it look better than Tremors 4 is the budget. We uh, we had fun with uh, Triple Frontier. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and there's, de- like, there's exceptions to everyone, but yeah. I could, if I quickly looked at my letterbox, I could probably look at a shit ton of Netflix movies I watched that got... Uh, failing great. Yeah. Well, uh, Metal Lords. Metal Lords. Uh, the fuck. The the wrong Missy. My worst film of last year. 
um, that uh, what the fuck was that other one? God damn it! There's a bunch. Fucking Army of the Dead. That was fucking horrible. Massive fucking budget on that one. I'm looking up to confirm. I was. I'm trying to remember if the movie, my worst movie of last year, Friend Zone. I think was my last was my worst movie of last year. No, I thought your worst movie of last year was that that road trip one, the prank one. Oh, Bad Trip, which I think was a Netflix movie. Yes, it was. Yep, with Eric Andre. That was my worst movie last year. Pretty sure it was. And then, yep, Friend Zone, another one among my worst was uh, was a Netflix original. Um, and then I think Home Sweet Home Alone was that a Netflix original? No, that's a Disney Plus original. Okay, yeah, that was in, that was among my worst. That right. was a nominee. So, and that's what I'm talking about. Like, yeah. there's obvious exceptions, like Roma. Is, yeah right yeah. but that's an oscar play yeah yeah fuck what was the, that the example that i that i gave you triple frontier was the first one that came to mind that i don't think either of us would classify as an oscar play and was still pretty good it was really good yeah we both had i think we both gave it a four <gasps> fuck, ben affleck oscar it. isaac fuck yeah yeah fuck yeah mm-hmm. okay uh so that's uh our little tribute to ray Liotta and fred ward uh thank you gentlemen for everything you did to help improve and contribute to uh, our favorite art form. Um, so yeah, I tip my cap to both of you. Moving on, what we've been watching. We haven't done this in a while. Yeah. But I'm gonna keep it short. Uh, there's a lot of movies I've watched uh, as I prep for 1992, Sam, and most of them have been bullshit. I've watched a really lo- a, a, a really lot. I've watched a lot of really bad movies. Uh, I don't think I've given anybody a one yet. Oh, yes, I have. Yeah, I definitely have. Are you talking about 2022? No, I'm talking about 1992. Oh, 1992. Okay. Yeah, I've watched a lot of 1992 films. Sorry, I, I wasn't listening because I was looking up to see one other movie that was bad released by Netflix that you and I both hated. Is it the Eliza Schlesinger it's movie? It's exactly what it is. Good yeah. on paper. That's it. Not good. No. Horrible. <laughs> Horrible. If you want God, hit- I didn't... Re- I Honestly... Honestly, had not thought about how many bad movies Netflix had released. Yeah. I genuinely had not thought about them. It's shocking. Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah. Um, speaking of good on paper, if you want to hear a good story, look up uh, Eliza Schlesinger's appearance on the Joe Rogan podcast where she talks about yeah. the story that inspired that movie. Yeah, the movie just comes off do as not watch, cringy. Do not watch the movie. Yeah. But listen to that. That, pod, that podcast is fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. That movie is atrociously bad. Okay. Uh, so, I don't, I don't want to talk about any other 1992 films I've been rewatching <clears throat> because I don't need to waste that time. So, the other day, I wanted to watch a movie. I was kind of in the mood for a movie that would kind of make me feel good and one that I knew I would enjoy. But I didn't really want to watch a movie I had to invest myself in. So I picked a movie that I found myself revisiting more often than I ever really thought, and that's the 2010 film Secretariat. The um, uh, Penny Chenery Tweedy and colleagues guide her long-shot but precocious stallion to set, in 1973, the unbeaten record for winning the Triple Crown. This is a Disney-fied retelling of the story of Secretariat. And what this does is what's unbelievable is everyone loves the underdog story. And what they've done is they've made the owner, 
Penny Tweedy the underdog because she's a woman in the 70s in horse racing, which is a very male-dominated sport. Because you can't make Secretariat the underdog because in 19... Spoiler alert for real life in 3, 2, 1, go fuck yourself. He wins the Triple Crown. He breaks every record in all three that still stand to this day and haven't been approached. Like, it's not like he's like 0.2 ahead. Like, he's ahead all time by a lot. Wow. And so they have to make penny the underdog and they do it really well they do it really well um john malkovich is a treat in this movie as he usually is but he's supposed to be playing a french canadian so when he speaks french he speaks french the way i do and you're like (laughs) you don't know how to speak french you might be saying the correct words but you don't fucking sound French. Yeah. You sound like me in French class. Oh, boy. So, wow. <laughs> Thus marking the first time ever John Malkovich has done a poor on-screen accent. L- <laughs> looking at you, Teddy KGB. <laughs> it's it's exactly... The best part, Sam, about this is that he doesn't try to have a French-Canadian accent. Oh, yeah. He talks like John Malkovich, but every once in a while... He speaks in French like John Malkovich. <laughs> He's not even trying to sound like a French-Canadian. I guess he learned his lesson from Rounders, hey? Yeah. If anybody hasn't seen Rounders, just do yourself a favor and at least look up on YouTube John Malkovich's accent oh. as Teddy KGP, K- Teddy KGB in that movie, Russian Mobster. It is historically bad. Yeah. But it doesn't pull you out of the movie. <laughs> which it should. Yeah, well, it doesn't pull me out of the movie because it's just like it's maximum cheese. It's a cheesy movie. Right, that's another cheese. Anyway, I'm getting off topic here because yeah. we're talking about Secretariat, but yeah, John Malkovich. Um, Diane Lane plays uh, Penny Tweedy, and Diane Lane's just an actress that I adore. For some reason, every time I watch her on screen, I just kind of fall in love with her. She, I don't think she's ever. I don't think she's ever great, in a film, like where I'm like, holy fuck, she deserves an Oscar, but I can't ever recall a movie where she's been bad. She's just an actress that knows how to do her job and is always enjoyable to watch. The other thing that they do so well in this movie is the actual horse racing scenes. And I'm going to I'm I'm just going to tell you this right now. <clears throat> the final race is shot and edited so well and their use of music because it's not a score that um that finalizes they actually use a song um it makes it's made me cry every time Hmm. cry and i wish i could i wish i wish i could spoil the movie to show you how well the filmmaking is because it (laughs) it's incredible the last race and I've loved it so much that I watched the real race as well to see how close it is to what happened. They're they're very accurate, like they they, but it's pretty fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm usually a like I'm usually a big fan of the underdog and like the heavy favorite. I'm just you know like I fucking hate the Yankees, hmm. and. But Secretary was so fucking awesome. <laughs> it's, it's, it astounds me 
that he the it's going to be 40 years next year that the Kentucky Derby, the Preakness and the Belmont Stakes that his his fastest times have not been approached. That's what blows my mind. Uh Manny, uh 2023 minus 1973 equals 50. Oh shit, yeah. 50 years. 50 years. It's it's just astounding to me yeah. with all the advances in training and equipment and nutrition with horses that his times haven't been approached. That just blows my mind. I fucking love it. Uh, I'm not a fan of the horse racing sport. I, I've never really been invested in Neither it. Neither have I. But uh, that shouldn't prevent one from checking out a movie about said sport. Uh, the example that comes to mind is the movie Rush. Yes. Which is a sport about a sport that I don't let me speak for you, but I don't think either of us really care about. Nope. That's Formula One. Yep. Um, and yeah, we both love that movie. Yeah. <laughs> really good movie uh, directed by Ron Howard. Um, I gotta, I gotta mention this and you knew I was going to, cause you've already mentioned it in the podcast group yep. when you said you were watching Secretariat. I'm surprised at myself that I haven't seen this movie cause it has not one, but two connections to my favorite TV show of all time. Bojack Horseman. Yes. One is the obvious that it stars esteemed character actress and fugitive from the law. Margot Martindale. <laughs> <laughs> She's delightful by the way. Just generally really. Yes. But I believe you. I believe that she is in this movie too. Um, and the other is that, uh, I'm not sure. I think you must know this. In that movie, or in that TV show, excuse me, since the animals are humans, Secretariat was a person who like did late night talk shows and stuff when he was when he was famous and a personal hero of Bojack's. So Bojack plays him in the fictionalized version of the Secretariat <laughs> movie. <laughs> and uh, Secretariat is voiced uh, voiced by John Krasinski from The Office. Oh. Huh. <laughs> I don't know if that works for me. Yeah, it's a bit of a weird pick, but honestly, it's fine right. for me. Um, Secretary, four out of five. Cool. I think the more I watch it, it no, I don't think it'll ever get above a four. But like, I, like I've said, Sam, I'm really tempted to make this my Manny Movie Club pick because I want, I know all the things wrong with this movie. If I was to put this in the Manny Movie Club, I would be stunned if anybody else gave it a four. Like, mm -hmm. I'd be shocked. I'd be like, holy fuck. I think it'd be threes and maybe even a couple twos from people that don't want to have a good time. What There's a couple of those in the group. Yeah, his name is T-Bone. <laughs> um, but yeah, Secretariat, four out of five, an absolute pleasure of a film. Nice. Um, I'll tell you the one complaint, doesn't need to be as long as it is. Yeah, well, I saw the runtime. Uh, it's, it's it's a cool hours. two hours and three minutes on yeah. IMDb. Um, doesn't need to be that long. You could cut out a half an hour for sure, hmm. for sure. But movie I love. The other movie I want to talk about, um, as I say, we're trying to keep things short. Oh, that's freaked me out. I thought we weren't recording. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> um, I went and saw Top Gun Maverick. Oh, nice. Sadly, I didn't get a chance to revisit Top Gun prior to watching, which, would, which was going to be my goal. <clears throat> Let me ask you this. What's your anticipation level for Top Gun Maverick? Like, are you excited to see it? Are you I like am excited to see it. Okay. Uh, I've talked about this before, but for those who don't know, I have seen Top Gun only once. Okay. I was, I think, whelmed. Okay. I think, 
I can't. I don't know if I actually logged it. I should maybe go back and check. I don't think I was using Letterboxd at the time. Okay. I want to say I probably gave it either a three or a four. I had a good time. Okay. I definitely haven't watched Top Gun since I've been logging films. Mm-hmm. I would say it's a three for sure, possibly a four. Mm-hmm. Um, but my anticipation of this movie uh, went through the roof when I saw the first trailer. Yeah, so there's that clip of Tom Cruise actually flying a jet. Yes. Like the cockpit uh, cockpit cam. Yes. Uh, yeah, that... You and I don't really watch trailers, but it was unavoidable for a bit. A bit. That definitely piqued my interest as well. Okay. Then prior to uh, Doctor Strange, the Multiverse of Madness, they, instead of a trailer, they played like a seven-minute clip of the movie. Oh, interesting. Basically, uh, an entire training montage. And I got an instant boner. So going into this movie, my expectations were not my expect. I didn't actually have expectations. My hopes that this were this was going to be as good as what the trailer made it seem to be. And I'm going to tell you right now, Sam. I'm going to spoil it right now. Not the movie. This is a five out of five for me. This was one of the most fun I've had in a movie theater in a long time. The most fun. What they did with Top Gun Maverick is they basically made a Mission Impossible with fighter planes. (laughs) And that mission, Sam, is the trench run from Star Wars. Sweet. I'm not even kidding. This the plot of this. This isn't a spoiler because this is what the whole movie is. It's them training to do a trench run, and by trench I mean they have to fly their planes through this twisty valley, and then laser point a missile onto this tiny little hole, so they can shoot a missile down and blow up this underground uranium compound. That is that is the mission of this movie, and the the whole movie is them training to do this mission. And Maverick teaching these new people on how to become better pilots. <sighs> this movie pays incredible homage to the first one. And Sam, you know that when we've watched these older movies, as we revisited 90s going further back, and we've, we've reviewed a couple of movies from the 80s and stuff, and I keep going on and on about how much I enjoy practical effects. I think that's one of the reasons that this movie meant so much is because they filmed a lot of the stuff actual in actual fighter jets. Because of the tech the uh, the advancement in technology, they were able to put cameras inside the cockpit and what they were able to do is they built specialized cockpits so the camera is behind the actual fighter plane pilot and so it looks like tom cruise is flying the fighter plane when on our side of the camera is where the pilot is so he's actually up there flying he's just not the one doing the flying and it looks amazing it is incredible to see these people actually up in the air now there are obvious places of cgi because a lot of the stuff they some of the stuff they do 
how close some of the planes get to one another is not realistic in the sense that I know like the snowbirds fly within inches of each other when they fly formations, but these are planes flying at one another and stuff like that. So I don't think they would take that risk. If they did, fucking kudos to you. Hmm. Great. Awesome. That makes it even better in my opinion. But seeing them fly around and there is a whole part of the train montage is them having to do this really steep climb where they get these incredible G-forces on them and they're worried that these people will pass out. You watch them take these G-forces for real. These actors, they're not acting, they're experiencing. (laughs) And it's fucking awesome. And it's just so much other stuff in there that was just amazing. The humor's on point. The cinematography's on point. The music's on point. Tom Cruise is doing great. The movie's fucking fun and has some truly unbelievably emotional moments that I saw coming, didn't see (laughs) that they would hit that hard. I didn't cry, but I came close. Mm. Mushhead did cry. Classic. Been doing a lot of that recently, apparently. Harsh. (laughs) Wow. Sorry. Wow. Wow. Um... I can't wait to watch this movie again. Mm. I want to go back and watch this movie in those moving seats. This is the only time I think that would be worth it. I fucking love this movie. If this movie doesn't make my top 10, it's been a good fucking year. Because mm. right now I can only think of three movies that would be on my list. I don't think you've ever had... You, there's no way you've ever had a year where a five-star movie hasn't made your top 10. Maybe specifically 1999. Yeah, possibly. I want to revisit that now. Yeah. Well, we're going to have to. Top Gun Maverick, 5 out of 5. Fuck. I can't wait to watch it again. Very cool. Sammy. What have you been checking out recently? Um, Yeah, I mean, I'll also uh, attempt to at least keep this short because I, I really haven't had a lot of time for movies uh, the last month or so. Um, I have been checking out Stranger Things. Season 4 is currently out, but uh, our, my rewatch has grinded to a halt Ouch. in the middle of Season 2. Ouch. Um, in my opinion, I will, I've recounted this before on the podcast, but I'll say it again here. Season 1 of Stranger Things is excellent. It is so much fun. Brilliant. I had a great time revisiting it. It's very, I like that it's very small stakes and intimate. It's like a season-long monster movie. Um, mashed up with a conspiracy theory. It's just, it's just a ton of fun. All the kid actors are so fucking awesome. Yep. Uh, season two, I'm not complete rewatching yet, but I am reminded of how much I, I had fun with this season as well. One of the things that I really enjoyed about it was the actor who plays Will is not in season one all that much. Yeah. He, his character plays a big role in it, but I don't think this is really a spoiler because it's what the series is about. He goes missing in season one yeah. and, and is found and is in season two quite a lot. Um, so the actor, or his character plays a big part in season one, but the actor really doesn't. Um, season two, he's given a lot to do and I don't know if they just lucked out or if the the directors uh, really did top-notch luck, uh, work with him, but that actor has a couple of scenes where he really shines. Hmm. I don't remember that. Not, I'm not like yeah. disagreeing with you. I can't recall them. I, I've only seen season two maybe twice. This is probably my third time watching it. Only once. Yeah. I think I rewatched both of them before season three. Fair. Um, 
so yeah, this is my third watch through, and I remember both previous times, one scene in particular, um, where the character of Will is uh, recounting something bad that happened to him, to his mother, Okay. and he gets really emotional, he gets teary-eyed, and I'm like, holy shit, this guy's like a preteen, and <laughs> he's absolutely knocking it out of the park. Um, so yeah, really impressed with all the kid actors in the show. Um, I am kind of dreading revisiting season three. Case okay, is which which season has Sean Astin in it? Three? Season two. It is season two. Season two. Okay. Oh yeah. Okay. Because season three is at the mall. Yeah. Okay. I I have watched season four. Not all of it. I'm on. I just finished episode four. Mm-hmm. Um, c- continue before I yeah. Chime in. Um, so I, I really like season one, season two also, I really enjoy just a, t- a touch less than season one. Um, but yeah, the addition of Sean Astin to the cast is really, really good as well as Max, another child actor. Um, I Max was- comes in in season two? Season two. Yeah. Okay. Uh, season three, I had problems with not terrible, not unwatchable, but I definitely enjoyed it a lot less than the other two. Like it's a, it's a big jump. Okay. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious to see where they go with season four. Okay, so here's my. Th- I'm, I obviously I will not spoil a thing, mm-hmm. right? Because I'm not an asshole, uh, like T-Bone. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> I was not excited about season four. I had a good time with season three, only because of how well they've done with their casting for the majority of the actors. That I just love watching these characters. I love Hopper. I like David, David Harbor is a revelation as Hopper. Yeah. I like Eleven. I love Dustin. And I worship Steve. Mm-hmm. Worship. We are Team Steve on the podcast. And God, Jonathan is such a... I, I'm, I don't like the character of, jo- of Jonathan. <laughs> Can I... At least as far as Nancy's... Uh, as far as that love triangle there. Yeah, um... Can I just spoil one thing? It's not a spoiler. It's a new character introduction in season four. Sure, go ahead. I'm just going to quickly look him up in here. Can you Mm -hmm. see this actor? (laughs) (laughs) I can. He's in Stranger Things. Oh, that's so cool. His name is Eduardo Franco. Um, He is in um, Booksmart, a movie that, for anybody that knows Sam and I, we love that movie. We fucking love that movie. (laughs) Um, I'm just going to look up. He plays Theo. Um, he has a prominent role in season four. And oh, when, yes. And he looks, he has not cut his hair still. Sweet. Good for him. Yes. Um, so when he showed up and he shows up early, I went apeshit crazy. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Um, but what I, what I wanted to say about this season is I just realized as I'm watching it, um, I just care about these characters, especially Steve, mm-hmm. especially Steve, and he is so far four episodes in, just as delightful as always. Dustin is even better. Uh, I will say that, in my opinion, um, the character played by uh, Finn Wolfhard, whose name I can't even remember right now. Oh my god! Um, yeah. And he's like the like the Mike, Mike. Jesus. Yeah. Okay, Mike and Will. Uh, I find them to be less than stellar hmm. this season. 
Finn Wolfhard I really liked in season one. Uh, and season two so far he's good, but he's taking a step back. So, uh, the actress that plays Max, mm-hmm. really good, like really good in this one. And sadly, why I can't remember um, the African-American friend in the group. Uh, Lucas. Lucas. Um, Underutilized? Mm, no. No. He's actually a little bit more utilized. He's just making some character choices that I'm... That I, I 100% understand. Mm-hmm. I just don't like it. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, without really like, knowing what like, where you're going with this, because I haven't seen the season, he's always kind of been the asshole of the group. Yeah. I mean, not that that would be the first word I would use to describe his character, but if anyone in the group is an asshole, it's definitely him. They 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 work it well, but for me, um, Dustin and Steve have this one moment in episode four where I just, it just, at this point, I'd already fallen in love with them again. But their chemistry, like Steve makes this, oh, he makes this joke. It's so good. It's so good. I I don't know if, like having just seen season one, I can't actually remember if Dustin and Steve have a single interaction in that season. I doubt it. At the point of my rewatch in season two, they've just kind of teamed up for the first time. Oh. And I, when, when I see the scene, if you recall the scene, uh, Manny, uh, Dustin, I won't spoil too much for people who haven't seen the show, uh, but Dustin needs help, um, kind of getting rid of something. Uh, so he goes to Mike's house to get Mike. Mike's not home. Nancy's not home. Steve is just pulling up at the time with flowers for Nancy. And <laughs> Dustin just goes, she's not home. Come on. You're helping me. And just kind of recruits him and just volunteers. him. like, you're helping me out. Like you can, you can go give flowers to Nancy later. We've got shit to do right now. And Steve just kind of goes along with it from that moment on. I've just passed that moment from that moment on. Their friendship is so great. And <laughs> and even having just seen that scene, my heart instantly swelled. I was like, oh, I remember that I love this duo. Oh, They're so cool. They are so cool. And yeah, it's it's been it's been a lot of fun. Uh, like I said, I just finished episode four. Having never rewatched any of the seasons. So I've only seen season one once, season two once, and season three once. Season four, episode four, might be, in my opinion, the best episode in the entire series. Wow. Just because of the way they craft it, the stakes, and everything, the way they set everything up. Okay. Now, again, it's a slightly uneducated, uninformed proclamation I just made because I haven't rewatched any of those seasons since they came out. Uh-huh. So, But episode four... Last night was, like, jaw-droppingly good. Yeah, I saw you post in the group chat about it. Yeah. Uh, Emma's out of town right now, so our our, uh, our uh, rewatch has been on a bit of a hiatus. But yeah. when she gets back, I think we're just going to hop right back on the Stranger Things train, try to get through season four, through season two and season three and season four uh, as soon as we possibly can. Nice. Um, so, yeah, Stranger Things I've been watching as well. Um, do I want to talk about this? No, I'm just gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna cut one of the movies I was gonna talk about because nice. I don't really have a lot to say about it, and cool. I'm just gonna go right to pause for dramatic effect. Baby Driver. <laughs> uh, after being coerced into working for a crime boss, a young getaway driver finds himself taking part in a heist 
doomed to fail. The first thing that I said about this movie when I posted that I watched it in the group chat is I'm so mad that I can't like Kevin Spacey anymore. Oh. And I don't mean that from like what, what I mean when I say that is I'm mad that he's such a scumbag that he's just, he just can't work in Hollywood anymore. And I'm furthermore, I am mad that bad people are allowed to be talented because I, I I'm very sorry to say, I regret to inform you. He is a delightful actor. He, and just a a shit stain of a human being. <laughs> that is a complete understatement. Yeah, like he is. He's unbelievable. Yeah, and it's uh, we talked about this last week. Yeah, we talked about this last week when I when I watched uh, Baby Driver again. Uh, so I've seen this movie before. Um, we actually talked about this in the first episode of the podcast ever because it made my top of 2017. Yep. Um, I think I had it at number three if I'm recalling correctly, behind three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, and the movie that got nominated for no Oscars, Wind <laughs> River. <laughs> um, I'd, probably, I'd probably redo that top three to go Wind River number one, Baby Driver number two, three billboards number three. I think that's how I, how I reorder that. Although maybe if I revisited three billboards, I would feel that way again. I think you and I have talked about that before, that uh, three billboards has maybe fallen down the chart Definitely. A couple of spots. Blade Runner 2049 probably be oh, higher. Oh, fuck. That's that. Oh, yeah. And that wasn't on my list because I hadn't seen it at the time. So, that's right. Yeah. I would maybe have to revisit that full year. Regardless, Baby Driver is directed by Edgar Wright, who is one of my favorite directors, so much so that I didn't even go bother to watch his movie last year. I, what? <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I was just about to say that. Yeah. Was it Last Night in Soho? Yep. I didn't hear a whole lot of buzz about it. Was it a lot of fun? I didn't watch it. Yeah. Fuck. I'm going to need to go watch that, too. Um, regardless, um... The Three Flavors Cornetto Trilogy, uh, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and World's End. Two out of the three of those are among my absolute favorite movies ever. Shaun of the Dead did make my top 20. Hot Fuzz was in contention for it. Uh, and The World's End is also pretty good. As well as Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, which is a delightful movie as well. Um, so what I like about Edgar Wright's direction is... Uh, I mean, in addition to getting fantastic performances out of his entire cast, he is one of the best comedic filmmakers these days at visual comedy. He is always inserting... There's not a single moment where there's not a gag of some kind inserted into the movie. Something as simple as going to get coffee in Baby Driver is played for a gag. And the way that it's edited is played for a gag. The editing in Baby Driver... Um, I don't have it in front of me right now. Do you happen to remember if it won for best editing? Not a chance. Not a chance? Because what would have won that year? I don't know. I'll find it for you. Uh, the editing in Baby Driver was absolutely spectacular. And um, it's not very often you can you can say that about a movie where the editing really makes it. But the editing just adds that little extra something that, uh, that elevates it to, to a whole new level. All right. Here are the nominees for best editing. Okay. For the year of 2017, hmm. Baby Driver, Dunkirk, I, Tanya, The Shape of Water, and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Dunkirk wins? You damn skippy hippie. Yeah, okay. Yeah, three three timelines. Yeah. Yeah. The the classic Christopher Nolan uh, three-scene intercut. Yes. Yeah, which is fair. I, I, I won't even say personally I think Baby Driver should have won because I haven't revisited Dunkirk in a little bit, but... Um, yeah, if you're looking for a, a, a super fun crime movie that goes a mile a minute, not a wasted moment, great performances, um, excellent soundtrack, and big, vibrant colors, fast-paced action, 
Uh, great performances by the likes of Jamie Foxx and John Hamm as villains in the movie. Um, yeah, I will. Uh, I, I fucking adore Baby Driver, and I will continue to revisit this. Um, in spite of it having a, a, an uncomfortable to enjoy performance from Kevin Spacey, but I, I gosh darn it, it's just it's just good. It's just good. I haven't watched this since it came out. I've seen this probably a solid three or four times now. So once a year. Yeah. Give or take. I guess so. And uh, it, it's actually coming off Netflix pretty quick, I think. I own it. Yeah. Of course you do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, There's another reason this movie's important. Why is that? The Bats Memorial. Yes. Naturally. <laughs> the, the Bats Memorial Trophy. Uh, all the way back in our very first uh, Sam and Manny Movie Podcast Awards, the Sampas. Yes. The first annual. Um, I awarded the best villain of the year to somebody who wasn't nominated because I forgot to add bats to my list and I wrote him in on the ballot. Uh, <laughs> still makes me laugh to this day. Yeah. Awesome. A great villain. I enjoyed his performance again. As soon as he appeared on screen again, I was like, fuck. I'll always remember that. Now, now every time I'm coming up with nominees for best villains of the year for our Sampas, I am so fucking rigorous like just hours like literally hours poured into it more time poured into that category than probably over my notes for any movie that we do it's basically since then that was so far ago and so long ago whenever we do the award shows you are so meticulous (laughs) it is it is delightful like every now and again when we're doing the award shows i'll come up with a nominee in one of the categories we're like whoa i didn't even think of that and yeah. I'm like I'm not doing it to impress you I'm doing it to save myself the embarrassment <laughs> yes yeah I fucking love it I, yeah. I love it because you go I think that's probably I don't mean this in a bad way go ahead I think the award shows are the only time that you out prepare me that is not only not a bad thing that is a hundred percent accurate that's there are rare instances where I feel more prepared than you. Yes. The award shows are among them, for yes, sure. Definitely. I 100% <laughs> agree, and I love it. Uh, uh, what, what did you give Baby Driver? Yeah, I gave it a five, again. Uh, I gave it a five every time. I think I gave it a five the first time. Gets a five this time. Wicked. So, uh, yeah, that's basically what I've been watching. Awesome. Well, let's get into the first movie of our 14-part miniseries as we revisit 1992, and that film is Scent of Woman. Released December 23rd, 1992, directed by Martin Brest, uh, written by Bo Goldman, based off the novel by Giovanni Arpino, starring Al Pacino, Chris O'Donnell, Philip Seymour Hoffman, and James Rebhorn, has a Metascore of 59. Zikes. Won one Oscar, Best Actor, for Al Pacino. It had four nominations, uh, the aforementioned Best Actor for Al Pacino, Best Picture, Best Director for Martin Brest, and Best Adapted Screenplay. It had a budget of $31 million, uh, made $63 million in the U.S. and 134 worldwide. The plot, a prep school student needing money agrees to babysit a blind man, but the job is not at all what he anticipated. Sam, your spoiler-free thoughts on Scent of a Woman, and as always, you should let our listeners know if you'd ever seen this movie before. Yeah, so I hadn't. I uh, hadn't seen this movie before. My kind of preconceived notion of it was basically only that uh, Al Pacino won his Oscar for this and that it was considered by some, including Manny, to be a makeup award for having not won it for his numerous other uh, Academy Award-worthy performances. Um, 
we usually do a segment on this show where if I haven't seen a movie, I'll give a prediction beforehand uh, on what I think the movie may be about based solely on the title and maybe some other things that I might be aware of. Uh, we didn't do that last week because we had Rihanna on the show. Uh, <laughs> Manny asked me before we came on air tonight if I would have gotten it right. And uh, hold on, I have this written down somewhere. I, I, I said that in my prior impressions, I wrote this down. The movie where Pacino won his Oscar, considered a makeup award, and surely this can't actually be about Al Pacino smelling women. <laughs> that is what I wrote beforehand. <laughs> surely this can't actually be about Al Pacino smelling women. Well, uh, me from a day and a half ago was naive, because it is. It's <laughs> at least partially about that. Um, I think there's three instances? Yeah, something like that. It, yeah. Oh, an above average amount of instances for any movie. Oh, no, uh, never mind. There's more than that because I forgot about Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, there's four in there. Um, let's start with the performance. I like the performance from Al Pacino. Yeah. It's really good. Um, I, Without having seen the other nominees this year, I would have no problem giving the award to him. I'm sure we'll get to that as we as we explore uh, in this 14-part miniseries some of the other movies uh, do you have the best actor list? Yeah, you're actually going to see all five. We're reviewing all five films. Have I seen any? Yes. You've seen Clint Eastwood and Unforgiven. Yes, I have. But I've only seen it once, and I was on some uh, some pretty strong wisdom teeth removal drugs at the time. Yeah. So. You get, you're get you going to get to see uh, RDJ oh, as Charlie Chaplin. Doing Chaplin. Nice. You're going to get to see um, Stephen Ray. Do you know who that actor is? I don't. Do you remember? Did you watch Interview with the Vampire? I did. Okay. Do you spoilers for Interview with the Vampire? <laughs> Do you remember the creepy guy in the theater that ended up getting cut in half? Yes. That's Stephen Ray. Okay. And for the Crying Game, mm -hmm. which we'll probably be doing fairly soon. Uh, and then Denzel Washington as Malcolm X. Yeah, which uh, I'm also <laughs> will also earn an Oscar, but just as a uh, as a makeup award to lay down the well, road. He already earned an Oscar. Denzel had. Yeah. For He's got two of them. For what? Glory. Glory. And uh, Training Day coming up. Yeah. Uh, well, coming up for them in the year 1992. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I really like the performance. I like what Pacino is doing with his eyes. It's a really difficult thing to sort of imitate the, the thousand-mile stare of somebody who can't tell that there's something moving in front of you. Yeah. Like, it's often difficult to just stare right on through. And uh, there's, as far as I can tell, no instances. Yeah, man, he's doing the stare right now. Hmm. Yeah, he's pretty good at it. <laughs> yeah, but could I act at the same time? Yeah, could you actually act at the same time? That's uh, This is really weird to different. try and do. I won't lie. Yeah. <laughs> Please don't do that for the entirety of the podcast. Um, but yeah, his, uh, his use of that, as well as the way that Al Pacino delivers his trademark Al Pacino dialogue. I don't know who to really give credit to fully, whether it's the screenwriter or Al Pacino. I think it's probably a little bit of both. I imagine he probably had some freedom with some of the lines, but uh, for the most part, it's a pretty quotable movie, I found. Um, unfortunately, it's <laughs> it's a bit long. Uh, two and a half hours is far longer than a movie about a man having a last hurrah in New York City needed to be. Um, I did feel it start to drag a little bit. And also, unfortunately, the co-star in the movie mr chris o'donnell do you have much experience with chris o'donnell i don't i'm just pulling up his page now i haven't okay. done prior research on this i'm just realizing now that he's robin 
from uh from uh batman uh, batman and robin mm-hmm. uh so that's rather unfortunate i'm glad i didn't know that beforehand um i saw kinsey once long time ago yeah i i have like no experience with him basically okay uh where where is he most known from well like Probably this, this this batman Ro- well right now He's on one of those NCIS shows right. where he's making a thousand million dollars per per minute mm-hmm. on them because it's such an incredibly popular show. That's what he would be most known for now. But he was like the it guy, the young actor um, at this time. Yeah, um, I don't really like his performance in the movie. He, it's probably to be entirely fair to him. It's a combination of him being the problem and Al Pacino being really exceptionally good. So, you know, there aren't many actors who could go toe-to-toe with Al Pacino at his best, but he definitely does not come close to being able to replicate that. Um, So, The Scent of a Woman, I had some problems with it for sure. I thought uh, it was longer than it needed to be. The performances outside of Al Pacino's spectacular performance weren't really for me a lot of the time. And uh, the general demeanor of uh, of Al Pacino's character, while it is definitely the point that he's an asshole, uh, it's it's forgiven a little too easily. And I'm sorry, I, I the smelling of of women in this movie just comes off as creepy rather than endearing to me personally. Oh, really? Yeah. Is it perhaps? what he does with the scent of a woman? Maybe. Because, like, I don't... F- mm. It's not that big of a spoiler. It, I don't... F- the one on the plane... The one on the plane is generally fine, inappropriate for the setting, but, like, didn't really make my skin crawl or anything. Like the, the, really, the really bad one, I'll just say this, the Thanksgiving one... I kind of, I kind of winced. Yeah, like, could have done without that. Well, it, it winced, and then he takes it to another level during the dinner. Yeah, but like I didn't, like I didn't think that he was creepy with Donna during the tango. Uh no, okay. no, not necessarily. So it's it's just kind of like the one because the only other major one is at the end with the with the teacher, and that one's not that bad either. No, that one's not that bad either. So uh, honestly, initially with with Donna when he sat down and we see the over the shoulder shot. It's a cool kind of shot. Um, I mean, I guess we'll probably get to this in the in the non-spoiler section as well. But um, I don't know. It. I guess I, I let's let's leave it for now. At I had mixed feelings about it, and we can maybe revisit it when it. Okay. Uh, when it comes down the pipe. <clears throat> I I as we're starting to move further back. So I'm 17 years old at this time. Hmm. I right. am, and I'm negative four. Yeah. Uh, so I'm 17. As we're starting to get back here, these more Oscar-worthy films, I'm going to be visiting more and more on home video and probably later in life. This is one that I did watch early on. I did not watch it in the theater. I definitely watched it on home video. And at this point in my life, this is the year that my life changes because this is the year that I watched Last of the Mohicans. So this is when my, as pretentious as it sounds, this is when I stopped being a 
someone that likes movies and started to enjoy film. So I didn't know the whole history of Al Pacino uh, being robbed of Oscars and this being his makeup. It wasn't until later. Going into this rewatch, all I was anticipating, spoiler alert for later, spoiler alert for later in the miniseries, my recollection of this year and this best actor race, 100% this is a makeup for not, especially for not giving him the best actor award for Godfather Part Two, which in my opinion might be one of the greatest performances of all time. Mm-hmm. And we talked about that when we reviewed that movie. Yeah. I was going into this thinking that I was going to be watching a performance that I didn't think was worthy at all. I'm happy to report that's not the case. Mm -hmm. He is really, really good. This performance is worthy of an Oscar. It just so happens that it coincides in a year with somebody who deserves it a little more. Not a little more. A lot more. And that I'm like Al Pacino is spectacular Mm -hmm. in this performance. I can't. If you're wondering who we're talking about, I can't wait to rewatch Denzel and Malcolm X because it is everything you're looking for in a performance. Hmm. Like it's, you're just watching a man be a master at his art form. But we're not here talking about Malcolm X. Hmm. <clears throat> so I was, I was very happy on this rewatch to, to be reminded on how good Al Pacino was because I've, as, as the years have gone by, my disappointment that Al got this as a makeup over Denzel, who should have won it for Malcolm X, my distaste for this movie has kind of grown. So revisiting it was a nice reminder that I actually really like this movie. So I'm very happy about that. The sad part is it also reminded me on how bad Chris O'Donnell is. And by bad, I don't mean like he's atrociously horrible. But the difference between him and Al Pacino is so vast, it's hard to ignore. Like, it's hard to ignore. And even though he has a small role, just imagine how much better this movie would be if Philip Seymour Hoffman and Chris O'Donnell exchanged parts. Yeah, right? Uh, if this movie did anything for me, is that it reminds me how much I miss Philip Seymour Hoffman again. In a tiny role, you're just like... You're like, God, this guy's you, so you good. Get, you see the talent? Because I, like, I remember watching this back then and seeing him. I'm like, oh, he's, fucking, he's a fucking good little dick. <laughs> and little did I know he's going to become one of the finest actors of his generation. Yeah. Even, uh, I mean, not to spend too much time on this movie, but like when we watched the master a movie that in our group of friends was unanimously panned uh philip seymour hoffman was about the only thing that got universal praise yeah panned is polite (laughs) yeah i thought i thought panned was a pretty negative verb is there it is it is it is but like is reviled is that bad? Well, universally reviled, I would reserve for like all one stars. If all okay. of us had given it a one, I would have like, I think panned is just like generally given bad reviews okay. is my, I mean, you could use reviled. Reviled would be fine. There was some, there was some pretty big hatred for that film. Yeah. So, it got a couple of ones. 
Got a couple oh, of shit, ones. I picked the wrong one. Hold on. I think you gave it a two. I was the only one who gave it a passing grade, a three. And you, I. Uh, that's what I was looking for. Did you actually give it a passing grade? I gave grade? it a passing grade. Uh, oh, you did. In my defense, I. Oh, so did. Oh, that's you. It was my own pick, and I had uh, I had almost no time to watch it. So I had to watch that movie in like three different sittings. So the pacing issues with it, uh, I think, were kind of lost on me because I wasn't watching it front to back. I, it didn't feel like as much of a slog as you guys reported because I, I couldn't just sit down and watch it. It got a three from Adam as well. Yeah. It also got a zero. Got a zero? Is that even a thing? T-Bone gave it a zero. <laughs> Uh, classic. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, hey, I don't, I don't blame it. I think, I think it's too technically good of a movie to justify getting a, a one or a zero. That's why I got a two. Yeah. It's the only reason it got a two. Yeah. Anyways. So this was a pick for the Manny Movie Club, picked by T Bone. Yeah. Right. Um. Coincidentally lined up. Weird. <laughs> very strange weird yeah there were some implications in the chat today maybe we should address some allegations slander against my good friend's name yeah implications yeah. that uh, the manny movie club might be fixed agreed yeah. i'm glad she's fucking crying <laughs> <laughs> thanks much ed thanks much ed um but this movie is really uh this is one of t-bone's all-time favorite movies yeah on his top 20 list that he um that he submitted 11 years ago. Uh, this was number 12. Mm. I would be surprised if this actually climbed a little bit higher on his. And one of the things I love when T-Bone selects a movie that means a lot to him is when anybody gives any type of criticism on it, he gets super defensive and super pouty. And oh, so I, even, I have not, I have not uh, posted any commentary to the, uh, to the movie club group yet. I assume he's going to be listening to this episode. I I have no idea. If he is, hey, Buzzy, I hope you're doing well. Yeah. Hey, T-Bone, um, I'm... I might personally, purposely take shots at you. <laughs> um, you already accidentally took a shot. I did. <laughs> and his love for this movie, like, he was defending Chris O'Donnell's performance. No. Again, I'm, I don't think I'm even in that group yet because I haven't officially posted like, hey, I'm in. Want, I, you, I can't remember. You might have. I don't know. Regardless, no. Uh, I'm like, obviously film is uh, is subjective and art is subjective and you can, uh, you can believe what you want to believe. You can like what you want to like. Uh, I, I don't think there's a universe I could possibly see myself living in where I enjoy that performance. Take a quick peek at something here. Oops, where am I going? Where are we? Let's go right here. There's going to be a lot of them. Let's see if Chris O'Donnell got any nominations in anything. Okay. He got a Most Promising Actor Award. He won for the Chicago Film Critics. Wow. For Scent of a Woman. Yep. Wow. Uh, he was a... No he was a nominee for the award show that holds the biggest sway for me, the Golden Globes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, your favorite show. Yeah, my favorite show. Uh, and then that's it. Okay, so he got a, a, a Golden Globe nomination um, from the Golden Globes, and he won Most Promising Actor um, for the Chicago Film Critics Association Awards. Which I just want to take a quick peek here in 1993. Let's see here. Uh, let's see. Best. Oh, wow. Hold on. These guys are actually making some good choices. All right. I'm just going to go on a little tangent here. 
<laughs> for the first time ever. Yeah, for the CFCA Awards. Okay. Their nominees for Best Actor are Denzel, Al Pacino, Clint Eastwood, Robert Downey Jr., and Tim Robbins for The Player. I haven't seen it. Um, Denzel wins Best Actor. Okay. Um, actress, Emma Thompson for Howard's End, Jennifer Jason Leigh for Single White Female. Nice. Nice. Story. Sharon Stone for Basic and Sync. I'm liking this so far. Uh, Rebecca DeMornay for The Hand That Rocks the Cradle, and Susan Sarandon for Lorenzo's Oil. Emma Thompson wins for Howard's End, a movie I haven't seen. So I'm a fan. But the Sharon Stone, the Sharon Stone, Jennifer Jason Lee, and Rebecca DeMornay nominations, I'm all great. I'm like, this might be my new favorite fucking award. <laughs> um, best cinematography, uh, there's only one. They, I guess they just announced winners. There's no nominees. Uh, unfortunately, it went to Bram Stoker's Dracula. Wait, a movie that you hated. That that is a reviled movie. Yes, <laughs> as far as I know. Yes. Why was everybody watching that in the group chat? Was that a uh, like there was a week there where just everybody was watching? That. Well, it's a '92 film, so yeah. I wanted to revisit it. Uh-huh. And then, I think, I think something came up that it was going to be leaving soon or something like that. Right. And, uh, I think Jordan like Rachel watched it first, and then I watched it, and we both disliked it. Right. And then Jordan says, well, maybe I should watch it. And I was like, fucking please do. Please do. Yeah. <clears throat> one from you, one from Rachel, two from Jordan. Yeah. That, I, I'd call that reviled. Yeah. <laughs> um, best Picture. Here are the nominees for Best Picture from the CFCAs. Malcolm X. Reservoir Dogs. Let's go. The Crying Game, The Player, and Unforgiven. Malcolm X wins Best Picture. I'm a big fan of this. Maybe we can revisit this uh, in the wrap-up episode. Yeah. See, uh, okay. see which award show got it right. Oh, you fuckers. Wow. Here are the nominees for Best Promising Act, most, most Promising Actor. Chris O'Donnell, winner for Scent of a Woman. This brand-new actor by the name of Brendan Fraser for School Ties and Encino Man. Glenn Plummer for South Central. Well, I recognize him. Jay Davidson in The Crying Game, which you will see soon. Mm-hmm. He had a very short career because he didn't really want to be an actor. He was a model. And my boy, Wes Studi for The Last of the Mohicans. Man. They're winning some points. What are what are these awards? The Chicago Film Critics Association. Oh, okay. Most Promising Actress. Uh, Angela Bassett. For Malcolm X. Wow. Cinda, Cinda Williams for One False Move. I don't know who she is. Rosie Perez mm-hmm. for White Man Can't Jump and Night on Earth. And Marissa Tomei, the winner. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to be I'm gonna be looking Big, at these Biggest new babe, more like it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So, Chris O'Donnell's performance. Weak. Um, I would just like to point out uh, Chris O'Donnell, while didn't have, didn't get a lot of recognition by the Academy in his time as an actor. I mean, he is still active as far as I know. Um, He did get recognized by another award ceremony, not once, but twice uh, in supporting roles. Uh, Let me just look up what this uh, group is. Oh, it's the the Golden Raspberry Awards. Uh, Hold on. Is it, is it supporting? Yes. Okay. Well, one's Batman and Robin. Obviously. Fuck. Um, a supporting role where he's not that great. 
Can you give me any hints? Do you know enough about the movie to give me any hints? Yeah, um, it's a remake. It's not an original property. Um, he plays. I mean, I'm pretty sure this is the main character. Um, he's based- the main, but he's a. He's got oh, sorry. Oh no, sorry. I I thought this was. Uh, I thought he was the main character. Yeah, supporting role. Oh, um, it's oh. based off a book, a pretty famous book, French. I got nothing in the 1800s. Uh, Three Musketeers. Oh fuck, he's bad in that movie. I yeah. fucking just watched that movie. It's from 1993, 94, 93, 93. Yeah, bad. Yeah, yeah. Nominated, we're supporting actor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Chris O'Donnell really taking a beating on this show, but uh, sorry, dude. Nineties uh, were not kind to you. I'm sure you're doing great. No, 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 no. The nineties were very kind to him. Yeah. He was very popular mm-hmm. and did very well and was like a complete heartthrob, but critically. They were not nice to him. He's just doing NCIS, it looks like. Yeah, and making a, probably a fucking million dollars an episode. <laughs> All right. Uh, I think that's it for spoiler-free discussion. Yeah. Yep. Bit of a tangent there. Mm. Shocker. Let's get into the movie itself. So, spoilers for Scent of Woman in three, two, one. Uh, go fuck yourself. Movie starts off. I forgot how much I enjoyed the score. It's a great little score. We it's, were listening to it before we uh, came on air tonight. Yeah, uh, really nice. Yeah, and it, uh, no surprise there. It's Thomas Newman, who's a very talented, uh, very talented musician. Yeah, very like light and breezy. Mm-hmm. Um, the, this oh. uh, the '90s seemed to be a good era for this style of score. I don't know what happened. Dave. Yeah, ex- that's exactly the exactly the film score it reminds me of. It sounds a lot like Dave. Just this. Uh, this sense of whimsy and magic and wonder is just is just very commonplace. I don't know what exactly it is. It might be the instrumentation. Uh, it might be the there's a lot of flutes and violins and sort of high pitched melodic instruments uh, at the at the forefront. But uh, yeah, not not sure exactly what it is. But uh, it the score for this is Chef's Kiss. We open at a prep school. I fucking love prep school movies, man. Mm-hmm. I really do. Private school movies, prep school movies. I don't know why I love them. Like we both went to public school, right? Yeah. 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 Maybe it's because it's a world I don't know anything about. Yeah. But uh, it seems like a it seems like a setting that's rife for exploring stories of class struggle. Yeah. Like, it seems like a really great place to explore a. Uh, a, a movie of the divide between rich and poor. You can have your one fish out of water, as we have in this movie with Chris O'Donnell's character, uh, and the just group of rich goddamn pricks who are yeah. always talking about how much money daddy makes and where they're vacationing and how much their vacation costs. It's just it's just insufferable. In Stad, is that right? Yeah, uh, Stad, I think. Stad, yeah. Yeah, Stad. You don't pronounce the G. <laughs> but I like that whole bit. It's like, why... Well, you just told me you don't pronounce the G. Well, of course, if you've been there, it comes off as pretentious. Yes. <laughs> so we meet a very young Philip Seymour Hoffman as George Jr. Instantly recognizable. And I don't know whether we're just looking at him through rose-colored glasses now that he's passed on or what. But even in as minor a role as this, uh, what a delight. Yeah. What a delightful actor he is in every scene. He's just... Uh, he luckily avoided in my opinion being typecast in his career as any one any one sort of role but the asshole is he's a he's a snobby uh, i don't get a chance to use the word snotty a lot he's a snotty rich kid yes uh, somebody who 
you can just you can just envision using the phrase don't you know who my father is yeah he's just exudes that kind of energy it's a it's a great small performance it really is um they set up that the group of them uh they're hating the dean for getting the jaguar Mm-hmm. And uh, they have a, a general disdain for the. He's not the dean, sorry. He's the headmaster. I'm not sure if there's what the exact difference between the dean and the headmaster is. I'm pretty sure it's. Is it is a dean only at colleges? Perhaps. Maybe. Right. I think a headmaster might be more of a prep school term. Fool. So it's basically the same thing, just a different terminology. Yeah. Yeah. More or less. Um, this. Uh, I, I know you're probably planning on pointing this out anyway, but I should bring it to the forefront. This character actor who plays the James headmaster. Horn? Yeah. Yeah. Um, somebody that I recognize mostly from the game. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is always an actor we point out. I think, or more, more so, you. You. I think you have a lot more experience with it than I do. But I uh, do. Yeah. I, I definitely uh, remember and enjoy his performance in the game. Uh, also, the uh, the asshole head of the CIA in Independence Day. Yes. Also true. Yeah. Uh, I'm a big fan of James Rebhorn. He's oh, a, we're uh, also going to see him in My Cousin Vinny this year. Yes. Cool. All yeah. right. He's uh, a very enjoyable uh, very enjoyable actor. We're not reviewing My Cousin Vinny, by the way. Yeah, uh, but I'm planning on watching it independently. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so rich kids are going seeing in Stag or Stag, whatever they say. Yeah. Um, and they none too subtly mock Charlie for being poor. Um, they're total dicks and they set up perfectly that this group has been friends for a while, that they are kind of friends with Charlie, but they're fucking assholes. Mm-hmm. They're your prototypical rich snobs. Yeah. A, uh, a big part of, like, as we'll get to, uh, the main relationship in the movie between our co-leads, um, a big part of the reason why their relationship works is that they have this problem to work through. I'm um, sorry, our uh, our main character's name. Charlie. Was Charlie. So the fact that Charlie has this school problem to work through is a big reason why him and Frank managed to bond throughout the movie. So setting this dynamic up of there's this group of assholes who he could rat out, but he's still not going to for his integrity. I think setting up that moral dilemma and that quandary out of the gate um, even though this movie is a little bit overlong, at t- it feels a little overlong at times, setting this up is certainly important uh, for the next relationship, which we're going to start to explore. Yeah. So Charlie's looking to make it, um, wants to make some money over the holidays because he is trying to save up for a plane ticket so he can return to Oregon. We are obviously on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. I don't know where Baird is exactly, but it's got to be, I'm going to guess, a Pennsylvania or a... Uh, all it says is Charlie Sims is a scholarship student at Baird, an exclusive New England preparatory school. New England. Okay, so. I was going to say New England, so it's probably like up in Connecticut and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, something like that. Cool. Uh, so we learn about the job where he is going to look after a uh, an uncle to Mrs. Rossi, and it should be uh, pretty easy money. He's just going to have to make sure everything's okay. You can watch some TV if you want. Sounds like a pretty uh, pretty cush gig. So she go, he goes in to meet the colonel. And uh, don't sir him. <laughs> that would be very difficult for me because I use the uh, the term sir very often. Yep, I'm a, I'm a sir ma'am person. Yep. Um, don't ask too many questions. Uh, these are some of the uh, 
rules that he's given. Uh, don't ask too many questions and ignore his staggering if it occurs because uh, he's, I guess, a proud man despite being um, basic. No, he's blind now. He's blind now, fully mm-hmm. blind. So Charlie goes in to meet the colonel and calls him sir right away. Which I could definitely see coming, but is an instinct that's difficult to ignore. Yes. Once you, once you get rid of it. I absolutely would have. I, I actually didn't notice when he said it because it's so ingrained into me, too. I didn't notice until Al Pacino called it out. Yeah. And the funny thing is, is as after he gets called out for it, every time Frank said something that he needed a response in some way or an affirmation, uh, in my mind, I was always going, yes, sir. 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 Yes, yeah. sir. And it was like, fuck. Uh, I, would, I would say. Uh, so we meet Frank Slade, who begins to interview Charlie. And we get our first... Hua. <laughs> now, earlier on in the uh, non-spoiler section, you said that this is your prototypical Al Pacino performance, mm-hmm. and I balked at that. But then I realized that you're coming from a post-sentable woman Al Pacino world. Yes, where this is the norm. But if you recall his performance in The Godfather and Godfather Part Two, much more reserved, not as loud. That's very true. Michael Corleone is a is a relatively quiet person until he's not. Yes. That's the Al Pacino I grew up with. Mm-hmm. So watching this and his continuing going back to this well in almost, what, 90% of every role he's done since then? It's tough. Yeah, I think the most recent Pacino performance I've seen, uh, not for the first time, but the most recent Pacino movie I watched besides this one is Heat. Okay, yeah. So, like, this feels very, very Heat. <laughs> this is, yeah. <laughs> this is, no, like, that. <laughs> heat is this going even more over the top. Yeah. She's got a great ass. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why when I got to watch The Irishman, seeing Al Pacino go back to something good was a nice treat Mm -hmm. a reminder hey i am good at acting when i don't continually keep continually play frank slade Mm -hmm. um so his yelling and over the top begins i was in this opening scene i was kind of like i kind of it was kind of reaffirming my prejudice going in i'm like this is just over the top all the time bullshit as the movie goes on, we realize there's a lot more nuance and a lot more subtlety and a lot more to this performance. But this opening scene, I was just like, oh, man, I don't know if I want to watch this for two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I I liked this initial uh, scene of uh, it's simply just Al Pacino in an armchair talking to Chris O'Donnell. Um, the shot of him is really cool. When, when he first walks into the room, there's a single beam of light yep. kind of in front of Frank's face. Which, uh, which I think is a, is a really interesting shot. And, uh, yeah, it's clear the power dynamic from the very get-go. Um, and it's, it's also clear that Chris O'Donnell is woefully underprepared to be in this movie with this spectacular actor. Yeah. Um, but Al Pacino stealing the scene, no surprise here. This is, this is a very good scene, and it's set up what a... What a, what a man's man, I guess, Frank is. What a... Uh, what a powerful personality he is. Yeah. Well, he's your he's an army man. Yeah, exactly. Or whatever he N- not was. Not going to not going to suffer fools, not going to suffer bullshit. Yep. And not going to be emasculated. 
Uh, Charlie is super awkward, and then he's basically guilted into taking the job by the family. Mm -hmm. Like she, you're the only one who showed up. You're the only one who showed up. Please, I, I want to go on a weekend with my husband, right? And you can see he's just all he wants to do is help and make people happy, mm -hmm. and he's just. How could you say no? You could just see it on his face. He's like, I want to say no, but I'm basically incapable. I've been raised too well. And he takes the job. Yes, he does. Uh, Charlie works in the library at the school. And he, um, George shows up wanting to borrow a book overnight for some type of project. They close up. And they stumble upon the boys setting up some type of contraption. And they're uh, kind of uh, stumbled upon by uh, Mrs. Hunsacker. Um, George, a.k.a. Uh, Paul Philip Seymour Hoffman. Sorry, no, I was going to go Paul Thomas Anderson. <laughs> uh, Another, a different three-name person. Yeah. Who's in Paul Thomas, yeah. Thomas Anderson's movies. Uh, P.S.H., or fish, I'm going to call him fish from psh, now on. Psh, 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 <laughs> um, psh, distracts, uh, distracts Hunsacker, uh, and then they make a little bit of too much, no too much noise. Hunsacker sees those boys running away, and then she now realizes, uh, this sets up that these two boys are witnesses to an event that's about to occur. Mm -hmm. The next morning, uh, Headmaster Trask arrives in his uh, lovely Jaguar car. Are you a fan of the Jaguar? Jaguar? Uh, cars? No, I mean, I wouldn't say I have any strong opinions about them. I, I'm aware of their reputation and, you know, their their association their association with sort of the New England upper class, let's yeah. say. Um, but I, I don't have any strong personal associations with them. I, I'm the same. And, like, even looking at that car, I can, by looking at it, I can see that it is expensive. Mm -hmm. But I don't find it visually appealing. Yeah. Like it's I'm, not like when they talk when they talk about Ferraris later on like yes. that instantly comes like a certain kind of person a certain uh, like the fact that they're being so careless with a Ferrari is like a big deal to me I, I can't explain why and I'm not a car person yep um, I can't explain why but I don't have that same I that scene would not have held the same weight if they were driving a Jaguar so carelessly does that make sense hundred percent yeah hundred percent right. so a poem is read over some loudspeakers mm -hmm. and it becomes apparent that there's some type of prank about to be pulled a balloon is slowly inflated over his car as this uh eloquent poem is being read by the gentlemen the, the pranksters and then trask pops the balloon what did you think was in there paint Milk? Yeah. Milk? It, I, th I think the intention was for it to be milk. Like, the film's intention was was for there to be milk contained within there. It looked more like paint. It was too distinctly white to be milk. Yeah. So, I, I don't really know. Could have been white paint. I don't know. Is, if, if it was paint, Trask is awfully clean by the time he's seen in the next scene by calling Charlie and George into the office. But if he'd had any paint left on him, it would have undercut the tone of this scene because he would have looked comical. Yeah, that's, that's very true. This is supposed to be menacing yes. from him, and we can't have him covered in paint. Yeah. I've always thought it was paint. Always. Because if it was milk, it really wouldn't wreck the car that much or be that much of a slight to his persona. Mm -hmm. 
But if it was paint, that would permanently damage that vehicle. So I've always, I've, I've always in my mind thought it was paint. Because if it was milk, I don't think he would be as intent on finding the perpetrators of this crime. Hmm. If it was just milk, it would just be a, an inconvenience to clean up. But paint wrecks that vehicle. Yeah. I'm trying to find uh, what exactly it is, but uh, yeah, I, I don't think I'm, uh, I'm going to be able to, at least not quickly. Um, Charlie and George are called in to reveal who did it. Um, Rebhorn is great in here. Mm -hmm. uh, I wish I could find the quote, but he talks about how the Jaguar symbolizes Baird, uh, which is just an excuse for the headmaster to be okay with the AKA gift he got. Yeah. Yep, I, I can uh, I can see that interpretation. I think that's I mean going back to the car discussion we were having earlier, Jaguar definitely feels like the right kind of gift for him to get. Yeah, like it's not quite as uh, as luxurious as like an Italian sports car, but it's uh, or it doesn't have that same association. It's more of an upperclassman's yeah, like a like an upper class white vehicle basically. Totally. Uh, they are threatened with expulsion if they don't speak up, and then he singles out Charlie. And bribes him with the implication that he has an admission to Harvard. Now, if I come from this working class family in Oregon, and I'm told that if I rat out these guys that I'm not really friends with who are complete dicks to me, and I get to go to Harvard, I'm fucking squealing. Yeah, like, okay, let's... Let's talk about this, because it's basically the main premise of the movie. Yep. Uh, I, I do want to get into this, because I was on Frank's side for most of the movie in this discussion. Like, I... I Frank? Yeah. Like, like Frank Slade? Yeah. Like, when uh, when Frank is talking about the integrity of, uh, of not squealing, it's a great scene at the end of the movie, and we'll get to it. Oh, okay, but, at the end. Yeah. But I'm just, I'm just saying that him... For for a good portion of the middle of the movie, Frank is saying, uh, you have to squeal. Like, it's better for you if you barely know these guys. They're a bunch of pipsqueaks. They didn't even like you. Go ahead and fucking squeal. Advance yep. your future. Um, so when he's saying stuff like that, I'm, I'm kind of on his side. Am I crazy? Like, I don't think integrity is... I don't consider that integrity to protect these people who you have no business associating with. You don't know them, and the fact that your future could be very, very adversely affected by helping them get away with something that you don't agree with and that you did not help set up, and the fact that you don't even like them in the first place, I don't know. Am I crazy for thinking you should have just fucking squealed? No. Nope. Does that make me a coward? Does nope. that mean I lack integrity? Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I'm going I'll... to fucking Harvard. Yeah. Like, have fun having integrity working at your mom and pop shop. Like, I'm going to be going off to fucking high-class college. Right? Driving a drag myself. I'm with you. I don't know. 100%. So that's, that's another thing with this movie that I, I... I won't say I had a problem with it because it presents its ideology well yeah and it makes the case for the one side well i just i just would not make the same decision no nope. I'm, like, I'm sorry i'm i'm fucking ratting yep sorry <laughs> yeah sorry <psh. laughs> sorry philip sorry i'm fucking i'm ratting out t-bone if that's on the table yeah. <laughs> just kidding i wouldn't rat out t-bone yeah i would but i wouldn't i would but rachel I wouldn't. Would I rat out Rachel yeah. to go to Harvard? Mm. Yeah, see you, Rachel. <laughs> I'd rat out. I'd rat out Rachel for a cheeseburger. <laughs> uh, <great. laughs> um, 
So Charlie comes over and he finds Frank is making plans for a trip mm -hmm. to New York. Uh, this would be a little fucked up. Yeah. Um, so having not known what the plot of this movie was beforehand, I once we got the setup of them in the room together having that first tete-a-tete yeah. uh, where Charlie and Frank meet each other for the first time, my brain goes, okay, this is an Oscar movie. What we're going to get is just a really intimate, dramedy sort of style about these two men forming uh, forming a an unlikely friendship within the confines of this room, with Charlie kind of being his caretaker and them learning to take care of each other. That was definitely the idea that I had. So, I, I was not the most excited for that plot line, but once we get to here and it's revealed that this is actually a road trip buddy movie. I was very much in favor nice. of that. I was very much in favor of that development. I'm like, okay, let's take the show on the road. Let's see what these two can do, uh, you know, out in the world with each other. So, yeah, okay. At this point in the movie, I'm excited. Cool. Charlie tries to help him, having never dealt with somebody without any eyesight. He tries to help him, and he is threatened, flat out threatened. Uh, Touch me again, and I will kill you. <laughs> um, I couldn't really tell if this is what the director slash writer was going for um but this felt like it was a callback to earlier when she said if he stumbles pay it no mind like i don't know if he i don't know if frank stumbled into him or if he just naturally went to go assist him no he naturally went to go help him okay because one with charlie being so helpful he wants to help and having no idea on how to help a blind man he he figures as most people as most of us do Maybe not so much nowadays because we have a lot more knowledge of people with – am I allowed to say they have disabilities? Is that allowed? Yeah, I think so. I can't remember what I'm allowed and not allowed to say. I, don't <laughs> I think even you're know allowed if, to say that. I don't even know if I'm allowed to call him blind or not. I think that might be insensitive now. I don't I don't know. Know. He's seeing impaired, whatever the fuck the fucking thing is. <laughs> Anyways, uh, for I can full on tell you right now, at that time in 1992, I would have done the same thing Charlie does. Yeah. That I would have went to grab him. And we learn quickly that that's not how to help a blind person. They grab you. And uh, it's the first time it happens. He is taught how to help. And he tells him, I will grab your arm and you lead and I will fall. Basically, you lead and I will follow. Mm -hmm. uh, they get on the plane. Uh, I, I want to just touch briefly. Yes. It's just a really small moment uh, as they're leaving for New York. Yes. While uh, Charlie is very hesitant. Oh, maybe I should check, see if this is okay. Um, and Frank is putting a lot of pressure on him to just, just go right away and force his way into what he wants. Uh, there's a small little moment where I can't remember exactly the context. He he says something to uh, to Charlie who just shrugs. <laughs> and Al Pacino, without missing a beat, just goes, don't shrug, you imbecile, I'm blind. <laughs> There's a, a couple good comedic moments in there. Right there. I think it's. I think you're right. I think it's I there. have it before before they leave. Okay, so I have it before it they leave. Must be in there. He starts to teach Charlie. Starts to impart some of his so-called wisdom on him. Starts talking about women and how much he enjoys them and every aspect of them and their body. Mm. Basically, this is where he. Uh, we get the first scent of a woman. Uh, the uh, what am I? What am I allowed to call them? Flight attendant. Uh, were you about to say stewardess? I was. Is that not a preferred term? I can't. Remember. 
<laughs> I'm an old man, and I think every term I, I'm used to saying is now offensive in some way. Yeah. <sighs> my uh, my grandmother sometimes uses the term Chinaman very innocently, <laughs> not knowing <laughs> not knowing you you really can't do that. Anymore. That is spectacular. <laughs> Sorry to rat you out. <laughs> very similar to the um, the scene in Clerks too. Yes. <laughs> um, and then we learn a distant second is a Ferrari to women, mm-hmm. which will also come back into effect later. Yes. Um, I. Don't know. If, I assume this is common knowledge, but it might not. I never really know with uh, with musical things. Uh, but a Steinway. You're familiar with what a Steinway is, I presume. No. Oh, okay. A Steinway is a is a large and very fancy grand piano. Okay. Yeah. So when he says, I can't remember the exact line. Uh, says something like he d- doesn't matter if the legs are uh, or are like Greek columns or secondhand Steinways. Uh, it, it's eliciting a message of a big, thick trunk of a leg with gotcha. with some nicks and notches in it. Gotcha. He'll, he'll take it all. Nice. All right. Yeah. No, I had no idea. Uh, they arrive at the Waldorf in New York. Uh, he starts making dinner plans and orders a limo. Limo's name? A limo driver's name? Mr. Manny. That's right, baby. <laughs> I completely forgot, <laughs> and I fucking loved it. Not a lot of Mannies in uh, in popular culture. Uh, the the only other famous Manny I can think of right the second is Mr. Ramirez. There's uh, Manny Machado. Yep. Okay, good one. That's more current. I can't believe I didn't think of that. And there is, um, I don't know his last name, um, but he's Manny, and he was Al Pacino's best friend in Scarface. Oh, Yeah. Um, I just searched up Manny on the Google search bar. First, uh, first autocomplete. Can't believe I didn't think of this one either. Mr. Pacquiao. Oh Pacquiao, yeah, of course. Naturally, uh, and then Manny Jacinto is the next one after that. I'm no like, idea I don't who know that is. that is. Anyway, so there's there's some Mannies out there. Yeah, there's Manny Manuel's got to be oh, somewhere. Oh, uh, right? Manny Jacinto is the guy who played Fritz in the action drama film Top Gun Maverick. Played who? Fritz. Fritz. Yes, correct. In, in Top Gun Maverick. In Top Gun Maverick. Not ringing a bell? Fuck no. Uh, Lieutenant Billy Fritz Avalone. I guarantee you that's one of the people in... in uh, he's. I guarantee you he's one of the people in the training hmm. group that has no lines. Okay. 100%. Gotcha. 100%. Okay. Uh... He can start to feel Charlie's stress, and Charlie tells him a little bit about what's going on at the school. And this is the first uh, time that Frank's like, you know, wrap them out. Yeah, sell them out. Sell them out. They go to the Oak Room, and it's a $24 hamburger, and Charlie's can blown you, away. Can you imagine, Manny? Can you imagine going to a restaurant paying $24 for a hamburger? Well, the answer is yes, because it's 2022, and we can, we absolutely can and do spend that on a hamburger at a restaurant so now. 1992. Are you looking up the uh, the old inflation calculator? I am. The trusty twenty-four dollars. We, we, we should have that bookmarked at this point. Okay, a twenty-four dollar hamburger in 1992 is forty-nine dollars and forty-six cents. Which is like, yeah, that's bad. That's a lot. It's a lot of money. Okay, so yeah, when he said a twenty-four dollar hamburger, I'm like, that's not that far off from what we're paying now. Yeah. <laughs> but now seeing it as like a fifty-dollar hamburger. Probably gonna be a pretty good fucking burger. Mm. That is a tasty burger. <laughs> that is a tasty burger. Yeah. Uh, Frank lied to Charlie, 
and is now forcing him to spend the night because the flight that he said was at 10 or 11 is actually leaving in 15 yeah, it minutes. It was 2,200 hours, but just 10 o'clock last yeah. time I checked. Uh, but he said it was 9. Yeah. Setting up uh, the, the first in a long line of lies. Yes. <laughs> and I, one of the things I like about the way Frank lies is that he will tell you that he lied to you. <laughs> he, will, he is the kind of man who straight up will lie to your face, and then when you figure it out, he'll go, yep, that's because I lied. <laughs> with, a, with a decent amount of pride in his voice. <laughs> uh, Frank tells him uh, his plans for the weekend, a tour of pleasures. And then he... Is it here? He, yeah, it's here at the restaurant. He tells him he's going to blow his brains out. Yep, because... Right at that moment, a waiter comes up and gives them the specials. That's right. Just a timeless joke of the waiter entering conversation at the wrong time. A very, very funny line briefly inserted uh, right after the waiter goes. Um, Charlie is still reeling from the fact that uh, this man is going to kill himself. And Frank just goes, mm, I'm leaning towards the Spitzla. <laughs> or Spitzla, however you say that. Yep. Yeah. He's like, mm, I'm leaning this way. <laughs> just completely disregarding the previous conversation. Probably laugh out of me. Uh, they go back to the room. This is where Charlie salutes him. And Frank calls him out on it. Teaches him some respect. Teaches him that that type of gesture isn't something to be mocked. And it's something that is earned. And it's a powerful moment yeah. that I still salute people. I, I do. don't. I don't think I ever use a salute in a mocking term. I use it as kind of like a, a form of hello. Yeah, I do, something to mix it up with a wave. Yeah, I, I I'll I'll sometimes just give people a little, yeah, like a little two finger casual salute. Yeah, same. I don't think I ever do the mocking salute that Charlie does. Mm -hmm. I wonder if that's because of this movie, to be honest, because I I honestly can't recall ever doing that. Sent a woman tie some respect. Yeah. I learned a lot from movies. Hmm. My my fear of hard drugs is because of movies. <laughs> is it because of Requiem for a Dream? No, it's because of Lethal Weapon. Oh, shit. I haven't yeah. seen it, as you know. S spoilers for Lethal Weapon, the mm -hmm. opening scene that kind of starts off the whole story. A woman does cocaine and jumps off the top floor of a building because she's so high. Oh, my God. From that moment on, I'm like, why would I do cocaine? <laughs> I, will, I will think that I can fly. Yeah. I'm not lying. Not even for comedy effect. I, I thought that until my 20s. Yeah. I was like, if you do cocaine, you think you can fly. Yeah. I'm not going to do cocaine. I can't fly. <laughs> I'm not going to kill myself. I'm not going to fucking die for drugs. Yeah, absolutely not. Kudos. Uh, um, I don't think it's outside the realm of normalcy to learn things from movies. Um, I'm always complaining to you about how busy I am. I never say no to anything. My friend asked me if I want to be on a movie podcast. You betcha. <laughs> do I want to be in a band? Sure. Do I want to be in another band? You betcha. I'm always saying yes to things. It makes me very busy. And I think that can directly be tied to the Jim Carrey comedy Yes Man. You fucker. I, I knew. I you... swear to God. I think, like, and that's not even one of my favorite Jim Carrey comedies. Like, it's an oh, it's like a three for me. It's like pretty good. Not great. That's definitely a two for me. Yeah, I bet it is. <laughs> <laughs> Point being, just this random ass movie that I watched when I was like 12 years old, I was like, that's good. I'm going to use that. Say yes to things. Sure. Be more open. Let's do that. Did you watch the Netflix original movie Yes Day? I did not. Yeah. Neither did I, I. watched Yes Ter Day. Me too. <laughs> Gave it a four. A three. Fuck you. 
Charlie wakes the next morning to uh, Frank getting some custom clothes made. I find it odd he didn't wake up earlier. Yeah, right? Like, this person would have arrived, entered. There would have been a, a conversation. And Plus, the, oh, sorry. And then conversation was ongoing when he already woke up. Yes. Plus the food delivery. And the cart's literally right, right beside his yeah. bed, a.k.a. the couch. And this fitting is, like, basically almost done. I've never had a tailored suit, so I really can't say. But it seems like this is the kind of thing that would take at least a bit. Yeah. And it's not dark in there either. No. So, yeah. I call bullshit. Yeah. Fuck this movie. Unwatchable. It's a a one. (laughs) Podcast over. Adios. Reviled. (laughs) Um, He wants to make a call, uh, but the colonel refuses to let him go take the call in his room. Yeah. You can make the call out here. Cunty. Is... Uh, Okay, a conspiracy theory maybe or tinfoil hat time? Maybe oh. I'm reading into this way too much. Love it. This I was expecting the him not entering the room thing to come back later. I was expecting there to be a reason why he specific like he was hiding something in his room or something. That doesn't come back later as far as I can remember. So my next best theory is that Frank realizes that his last moment, his last opportunity for genuine connection with a human being is with this young man. And he wants to share in this problem with him. He wants to be a part of the problem-solving process. So you would rather have Charlie take this call near him so he can get involved. Is that is that crazy? Am I reading into that far too much? I love that reading. This is my interpretation of okay. that scene. Stay out of my fucking space. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's honestly probably closer to what they were going for. <laughs> I, I honestly think it's stay out of my fucking space, and also his gun would be in that room. Yeah. And he's already revealed that he plans to kill himself. And he, Well, he's a military man, right, as, yep. as has been well established, and his his sidearm is like a part of him, yep. basically. Charlie calls George, Slade listens in, and this is, again, where the colonel tells him to rat him out. Mm-hmm. Fucking do it. Fucking take the deal take that deal mm-hmm. and i would have accepted and the movie would have been over yep <laughs> yep so they jump in with uh our good friend manny go for a drive to go to frank's brother's place as soon as he walks in the door he starts yelling and what i love about this is when you get nice solid acting from your minor bit players especially the reaction shot from his brother and his other nephew when it, he's yelling at the front door and it cuts to them in the other room and you can see their fear and their uneasiness. Like, oh shit, Frank's here? Yeah, like, fuck. They're like, there goes our nice Thanksgiving. They go to sit for dinner. And I love that he's called out on, you can sit anywhere you want, or you can just take the head of the table as you always do. Mm-hmm. And he purposely takes the head of the table. Uh, Sam, I'm guilty of this as well. Taking the head of the table? I, I love sitting at the head of the table. Yeah. Should surprise nobody, since I'm a fucking narcissist. You like to be the center of attention? That doesn't sound like you. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <sighs> That's why this should be called the Manual and Samuel movie podcast. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> Manny, Manny, we've been doing this for like four years now. A rebrand would just confuse people. <laughs> Who are these new competitors to my actual favorite podcast? If we switch right. the names around on the marquee. You're right. Yeah. 
Um, they cut ahead a little bit. He's telling the very end of a very racy story. Um, <laughs> yeah. About two chicks at the same time. Yeah, east meets west. Yeah. Uh, absolutely atrocious. Uh, just wholesome Thanksgiving conversation with long lost family. This is where he also starts to insult Gail. Yeah, uh, I think he calls her Gloria. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, our our guy uh, definitely gets a little riled up. Uh, Randy, played by Bradley Whitford. Yes, who is a very recognizable actor. Um, I know him from a lot of stuff. Uh, the only stuff I can think of right now is Get Out, and uh, he's actually Andy Samberg's dad on Brooklyn Nine Nine. Oh, um, I can't think of anything else right now. I know there's more. He's been in a lot of stuff. I can't think of anything again off the top. But I'm almost positive. I haven't watched it, but I can't wait to. Trying to find the time. I think he's a big star in, in the West Wing. The Aaron. Stark. Yes, that's absolutely. He absolutely is. Yeah. Um, I've only seen a couple episodes of West Wing. Never but. seen any. I think I think what my goal is is to tackle The Sopranos this year. Mm. I finished season one. I have to assume the show gets better because that's widely considered the greatest show of all time. Yeah. And after season one, I mean, I'm, I think Breaking Bad has sort of taken that title, hasn't it? Has it? So Maybe by based, some, depending on who you ask. Right. I guess. Those two in Lost. Yeah. Right. Yep. Although I will say, um, having not that, having not seen The Sopranos nor Lost, um, they don't have the reputation of having a great ending the way that Breaking Bad does. True. But also thinking back, the end of season one of Breaking Bad wasn't the greatest. Ends with Tuco. Yeah. Um, There's no cliffhanger. Yeah. They basically they basically just get more um, embroiled with Tuco's scheme. They realize how in deep they are in, in yeah. his scheme. Breaking Bad just keeps getting better and better. Yeah. I tell people that. I'm just like, give them a chance. Yeah. So maybe the same with Sopranos. Anyways. Um, Bradley Whitford also in um, The Post. I already said Get Out and Cabin in the Woods I saw recently as well. Oh. So. How was Cabin in the Woods? I watched it with Jordan, I think, I'm going to say like three years ago now. Okay. I, I enjoyed it. All right. I had a good time. So Randy starts telling the story on how Frank became blind doesn't paint frank in the best picture but because randy's so upset he's already been warned not to call charlie chuck or chucky because he prefers charlie Mm -hmm. and he calls him chucky again and frank explodes i like that that is what riles frank up i like that it's not the story Yep. Frank actually doesn't give a fuck about the the person that he hurt. It seems like, or at the very least, he's out. He's not outwardly showing it. He's sw- able to swallow his emotions a little bit on that, and kind of playing it off as a joke. He's making jokes about it. Well, I think he's making jokes about. It, but what Frank's intention to come here was to like say his goodbyes and to try and make amends. And then what happens is that he can't help himself with Randy because Randy's a bit of a dick. Yeah. And Randy's a bit of a dick. Because Frank's been a huge asshole probably his whole Frank life. Frank has, uh, it's never explicitly said, but he's absolutely intentionally fucking up his wife's name. Yes. He's trying to get a rise out of him. He knows that he can. Yeah. Randy's an easy target. Yeah, he is. I'm Randy and T-Bone is Frank. That's the way this is going. Yeah, that's that's the dynamic. <laughs> no, trust me. That's the way. <laughs> is I, it the dynamic? I, I don't know T-Bone can, well enough. I, I cannot. I, it's hard to get under T-Bone's skin. Mm. He is... An I've seen expert. him get under yours. Yeah, yeah. he is an <laughs> expert at getting under mine. The thin lips. Yes. Yes. 
And the worst is that I know he's doing it to get that reaction, and yeah. I still give him that fucking reaction. Yeah, give him Fuck, the I hate that guy. <laughs> Fuck that guy. Cheers. Fuck. No, he's getting a lot cheers. of shout-outs this time around. Yeah, he's a fucking asshole. <laughs> I love that guy. Yeah. I hate that guy. Hmm. Uh, so Frank says goodbye to his brother. And it's done in a way to not elicit any red flags. Yes. Unless you know what he's doing. Yeah, absolutely. It, it plays really well. It also is the perfect apology for this character. I think the line the line is well written because it's not the the line in and of itself is not very genuine or heart or heartfelt. Yeah. It, it's just the fact that this is a military man, it's a man's man, where men can't show emotion, that kind of person. So this is the closest thing to an apology you would get out of this person. Yeah. Uh, I had the line written down somewhere. Bye, Willie. I'm no fucking good, and I never have been. Yeah. That he doesn't say the word sorry, but that is basically this man's version of an apology. Yes. So the next morning, uh, Frank is assembling his weapon. Uh, is it? He wants to be timed, and. Charlie tries to call Mrs. Rossi and Frank eats the paper <laughs> like a little child. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. This got a laugh out of me as well. And he says, uh, that was stupid. Was it? <laughs> no, it was not. Um, Charlie tells him that he has to relinquish his weapon to get him to stay. Frank instead gives up the bullets. Transparent. Yeah. Sorry. Saw the twist coming. First of all, I thought he wasn't even going to take the bullet in the chamber. And I'm sitting there going, come on, bullet in the chamber. Like, yeah, elementary stuff. And Frank calls him on that, too. He even gives it to him. But at the end. But, you know, you think this guy only brought one fucking magazine? I don't know. Uh, I have it written down, and probably because he's this way through the whole movie, I have it written down, O'Donnell's not good in this scene. He's not good in any scene. The one where I really notice it is the last where he's trying to get the gun from him. At, at the very end. At the very end. When he starts That one, I, I'm going, holy shit, this is just, like, completely one-sided. Yeah. Um, They go for... He goes for a shave. Sam, have you had a professional shave? I, know, I, I haven't, and I was daydreaming about it, watching the scene. I'm going, that looks so comfy. Sam, I've had, like, ten. So nice. I can't recommend them enough. Yeah. They will not shave you as close as your razor will, mm-hmm. but the... It's the experience. Mm. Sam? I think uh, if and when the day comes, uh, for those who don't know what I look like, I am sporting a mustache and, and a little a little beard and some sideburns. On the day I decide to get rid of all of this, uh, maybe maybe the pro route is the way to go. No. Because like, them getting rid of this, yeah. what they're going to do is they're, they're just going to take scissors to this to get it down yeah. to where they can shave it off. Right. So that's not it. You should just go in and just get all this trimmed up. Yeah. Yeah, get it, get a groomed professional. I think it's like, it? if uh, like I've I've been to a couple in town, and there's a couple more barber shops that have, have sprung up, so maybe I should give them. But I go to Tommy Guns a lot, mm-hmm. and I think it's like fi- it's like fifty bucks, and you're there for like an hour. Dude, do it. Hmm. Just treat yourself. Cool. Take some of your poker winnings. Yeah, that's right. Just take out a little <laughs> bit, mm-hmm. or say tonight if I win fifty bucks tonight, I'm gonna treat myself to a shave. I like that. Okay. <laughs> Okay, I, I I want you to. Okay, because it's 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 so worth it. Where'd you say to go? Tommy guns. Okay. Now I want to go get one. <laughs> Man, you want to go on a date and go get shaves together? Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck yes, I do. All right. Then uh, we can go to a movie. 
Fuck yes. <laughs> Fuck, I'm in. Okay. Okay. Uh, they talk some more about Charlie's problem. This is where Charlie reveals the bribe. Mm. And we also learn that Charlie has a moral code. He had this is where he he reveals that he does have this integrity. Now sadly, looking at this movie 30 years later, his integrity should be towards himself and his future yeah. and the future of his family, not to stand up for these people that he doesn't have any loyalty towards. Rolling over and letting these people bully you into silence is not integrity, as no. far as I'm concerned. No. But back then, yeah. in the early 90s... It's what a man would do. Yes. And so they build it up this way. They decide to go for a drink. In one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Mm-hmm. This is where he can smell uh, Gabrielle Anwar. Or Donna, as she's called in this movie. An absolute dime. Yeah. Whew. She is... There was another movie that she was kind of famous for. She was also in the uh, the Three Musketeers movie. Oh, God. Um, she was in this other movie I love, a blatant ripoff of Pulp Fiction called Things to Do in Denver When You're Dead. Mm. And But there was another one, so I need to find it. Wild Hard Body... Uh, I don't really recognize any of the ones in her filmography after okay, this so one. Okay, it, so it, what she was this what she is what she was known for. Oh, maybe it was Swell Hearts Can't Be Broken. That must be it. So this is kind of this scene here is where it kind of launches her and then she gets she does get the three musketeers um things to do in Denver when you're dead. Yeah. So she had a little run as kind of like the hot girl, mm. um, stunningly beautiful in the scene and adorable as well. They go to talk to her. Uh, he recognizes her uh, soap. She is uh, impressed. Okay, let me let me ask you this. Yeah. To what extent? And uh, if uh, if Rachel Jordan Musha or any of the women who have been on the podcast or listening to this, please give your insight on this. To what extent is this move of recognizing the scent, to what extent is that effective for flirtation? Because it strikes me as the kind of thing that would not work. No, no. The difference is that he's blind. Yes. I think if a... If a seeing seeing man man does that, it's like, why are you so adept with women's perfume? Yes. It's weird. Yes. Right? The the main factor is this man is blind. Yeah. I I recognize that. I absolutely acknowledge that. I don't think that that fact does as much legwork to reverse it as he thinks it does. Or as the writer thinks it does here. That might just be me, but that's how it feels. Hmm. I never saw it that way. Yeah. I see it as he's showing that he has highly tuned senses, mm. that he has a knowledge of these type of things, and that he is incredibly charming, mm-hmm. which you can see in the scene that he is, that he wins her over somewhat. Not to the point where she – it's not like he ever had a shot with her. Yeah. But she's won over. She, she's certainly – she's charmed. Yeah, she's completely charmed, where if he wasn't – 40 years <laughs> her senior he actually might have had a chance because he is that's how eloquent he is mm-hmm. 
and uh, Frank uh, asks her to dance, and then he does something that I can tell you right now. <laughs> I can tell you right now, generalization, mm-hmm. as everybody is different. But when he compliments her laugh, she is completely taken aback by it. Hundred percent. And I can tell you that it works <laughs> as long as you're being genuine. Yeah. But it's very rare and it's very cute and winning. If you compliment somebody's laugh, I've tried it and it works, <laughs> but you have to, you, they have to have the kind of like, if somebody has like a donkey laugh and you say like, Oh, great donkey laugh. <laughs> no. But if you say you're like, that is a very adorable laugh. They know you're full of shit. Mm. I used it once and it worked. Not, it didn't get me laid, but you could see that it won her over. Sweet. And I was, and I was like, damn, <laughs> damn. Um, she's very nervous to dance because nobody else is dancing. And I don't even think that this was a place for dancing. This is a lunchtime area. Yeah. But I love that he wins her over with his confidence. He's not pressuring her, not in an overbearing, like, you have to do this, just in a... Not like he did to get Charlie to come to New York with him. Yes. He's just winning her over with charm. Mm-hmm. He's like, it'll be... F- this is... he's in The way I've always interpreted this scene is like, Donna, if you do this, this is a story you will tell people. Yeah. This is something that you, you're not going to forget. And I think crucial here is the fact that the scene starts with her saying, or this interaction starts with her saying that she always wanted to. Yeah. Like she brings it up as something that she wanted to do. And he's like, let's go. Yeah. Let's do it right now. And she, like she mentions that her boyfriend is like not into this at all. Yeah. And when he shows up later, he's almost stopping just shy of making fun of her for it. He's like, Oh, you found somebody to tangle with. He's a little condescending. Yeah. A little bit. This tango is superbly edited. This this part of the movie, um, this part of the movie is what a lot of the marketing focused on back in back then, Sam. And the idea that a blind man was tangoing with a beautiful woman and stuff like that was a big selling point. He just completely takes over, and I just think of this character in a real world prior to being blind he would just win over every woman Mm -hmm. again generalization (laughs) i know what you're saying but no this this person did very well with the ladies yes absolutely yeah he knows how to talk to them he Mm -hmm. knows how to compliment them and he can dance yeah like that's killer and what i love is as the dance continues on you can see donna being completely won over She's just beaming with happiness. She is completely lost in this moment of joy of being able to do this dance that she's always wanted to do. And she's being led by somebody that knows how to do it. You can see that Al Pacino knows how to do this, a.k.a. Frank knows how to do the tango and makes her feel safe and comfortable. Al Pacino also knows how to tango, Yeah, obviously. Despite the fact that they are dancing in public and everyone is staring at them Mm -hmm. he can't see so he has i hate to use he has no shame there's there should be no shame because they're just enjoying a nice dance together 
but she is so wrapped up in the moment and so overwhelmed with the joy that she's experiencing that she thought she would have by doing this tango. Mm -hmm. I love this moment so much. Yeah, no, I, I think it's a, it's a very good moment. I can see why the marketing material um, would really focus on this. It does seeing this scene in isolation would definitely, um, it, it would reveal a bit of intrigue. You know, like why, how did this blind man come to be with this gorgeous woman? Yeah. And uh, why can he tango so well? Um, I can see why it would be used in marketing material and why it would be uh, intriguing. Um, so we get, uh, we get her boyfriend, Michael, Michael to, uh, to show up after the fact. And there's this line from Frank when he's talking about Charlie. It's the second instance I think we've seen of this. Um, where he is just blatantly lying about Charlie, but pumping his tires. The first time is at dinner. He says he's the star of the Baird football team. He's the star fullback of the Baird football team. Yes. Uh, they beat this and this team. and He's just like making shit up. Yeah. Uh, he does it again here. And for some reason, it just tickles me. It's really funny the way he's just able to rattle this off. Uh, Charlie's very talented. He's a very good dancer. He'll also do bird calls and impersonate Bella Lugosi. <laughs> it's just such a random pull yes. <laughs> to go immediately to Bella Lugosi. But for some reason, him just rattling off made up talents for Charlie tickles me. Well, I think what he's, he's the perfect wingman. Totally. He is like, he, yeah. <laughs> he's pumping his boys tires. Yeah. It's the kind of thing that if you heard it, you'd be like, oh, there's no way that's made up. Like, yeah. like of course he can't. Why, why would he go to Bella Lugosi yeah. <laughs> first? It's fucking awesome. <laughs> Uh, so Michael's a can tweet, uh, a tweet, a complete dweeb. Yeah. Uh, <coughs> your thoughts on how much longer Michael and Donna stay together after this dance? Uh, she has realized that, uh, that Michael is holding her back at this point. That Michael is just no fun. Yes. The fact that he's, that he won't dance with her. Yep. That he shoots down everything, that they're going to a, a date, uh, at a place that he wants to go to instead of staying with these two very charming individuals who have just paid for their lunch. Uh, I think, I think this is the beginning of the end for, I, uh, for the two of these people. I've always felt this. Yeah. I'm like, I think Donna goes on to a much happier life now because of this. Yeah. And I, I love to think that I hope you're having a, a nice life out there, Donna. Mm -hmm. So they leave and my boy, Manny, my boy, Manny finds Frank. It's good name. Yeah. Good it's name. Great name. It's a strong name. It is a strong yeah. name. I, I I stole that that joke. I have a coworker named Tyler who shout out to Tyler, but he doesn't listen to the show. Yeah, shut uh, up. <laughs> uh, every time there's a Tyler who comes into the store, he always goes, mm, "It's a good name. It's a strong name." <laughs> <laughs> and I've I've started doing that. There's a there's a, a Sam who works upstairs at my work, and every time I run into him, I'm just like, oh, "It's a good name. It's a strong name." That's awesome. <laughs> I wish I could play that game, but I don't ever. Yeah, there's another... barely any manies. Well, you can revel in that opportunity. I I give you the gift of this joke, man. Yes, and that's <laughs> like that. I think maybe that's one of the reasons that I've always enjoyed this movie is I get to hear my name. Yeah. <laughs> the only other one that is, is that's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, and I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> so while Frank is up uh, enjoying the uh, the pleasures of the world's oldest profession, hmm. they Charlie calls George, and George has decided to tell his dad, which they had agreed upon earlier to not do. Can I uh, can I tell you? Something I was worried about in this movie. Yep. For the first whatever it is, hour and a half of the runtime until we get to this point, I was really worried I was gonna have to watch Al Pacino have sex. <laughs> I'm very happy. Were you, were <laughs> you getting flashbacks of Heat? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was not prepared for that, and I'm uh, I'm glad they decided to go the route that they did. 
so la- I think it was last week. Last week I gifted you a, a, a Blu-ray. You did, and of- I appreciate it. I watched it on that. Okay. So. The other movie on there, mm-hmm. Sea of Love. Yeah, that sounds like that sounds like the kind of movie where there's some fucking. It's an erotic thriller. Mm. Very popular in the '90s. It was. Yeah. It was. Sea of Love's a, a pretty good movie, from what I remember. Okay. Pretty sure there's an Al Pacino love scene in there. <laughs> so, just a heads up. Hoo-ah. Hoo-ah. <laughs> <clears throat> Frank emerges from the hotel. A very happy man. They head back to the Waldorf. Uh, it's yep. the next morning. 66 Metascore for Sea of Love. It's higher than this. This got the best picture, Nom. Very true. 66, respectable. That's respectable. Yeah, that's respectable. Mm-hmm. Charlie checks in on the colonel. He was in bed. Uh, it's obviously apparent that Frank is ready to die. And the weight of his decision to do so is weighing on him. I Around this point in the movie, I started to suspect that we might actually learn that Frank is sick. Ah, I, I Ooh, nice. Yeah, I began to suspect that a little bit, as, like the way he's so like it, it would have been a little bit different, I think, if he was acting like this from the beginning. But he takes such a sudden turn yep. to being bedridden for seemingly no reason. Well, the reason is he's he's done all the pleasures. Yeah. Yeah. And now he realizes what's to come. So yep. that wasn't immediately apparent to me. So I, I began to wonder if he maybe uh, was was actually dying Fair. at this point. Fair. Uh, O'Connell is fucking weak sauce in this scene. Hmm. He is not good, and I'm he's so- trying to uh, coerce him out of bed. Yeah, yeah, it's fucking fucking weak. This, to be fair, I don't think the dialogue is doing him too many favors. Well, Al Pacino's given a lot of a lot of the best lines, and his job in this scene and the following scene is basically just to repeat a line over and over again. Come on, get out of bed. Hey, let's get out of bed. Let's get out of bed. And then in the following scene, give me the gun. Give me the gun. Give me the gun. Not, we're not there yet. Yeah. Well, in the, in a following scene. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so he talks about going for a ride. So they go to Ferrari. This is the only... And even what happens later in the scene isn't as big of a leap of faith as this is. This is the only place where you have to make, you just have to, you got to let it go. I like this moment. I like that they get to share this moment. I like that it's Charlie who has this idea Yeah. to get yet another pleasure on the list crossed off that Frank didn't even really know was on the list in the first place. Yep. Um, as somebody who has worked sales for a long time, Fuck these people. <laughs> Fuck these people for lying to the salesperson and, and manipulating him. But the yeah, the mo- the moment works for me. I I agree it's pretty far fetched that uh that both the situation would be allowed to happen and they would escape unscathed and that the the police officer uh later on would not uh would not realize what exactly is happening. But uh, I find it I find it less believable that this Ferrari dealer would allow them to leave with that vehicle than I do the them escaping the police officer unscathed. I find this a bigger leap of faith for me. Yeah. I, I think I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, what The biggest leap of all, I think, is that they didn't die. 
I, I think there's no way that they're able to navigate successfully. Those t- the, what, the turns. Yeah, at, at full speed, no. Yeah. If they kept it to their initial pace, maybe. Yeah. They could, like, he could have even, even at, like, 50 kilometers an hour, a Ferrari, from the way I understand that it turns. Mm-hmm. If Chris O'Donnell had maybe grabbed the wheel as well, who knows? But they go to an uninhabited place where Frank gets to drive, opens it up a little bit. Uh, he wants to turn. They make a couple turns. Frank is just, his joy in this scene is overwhelming. He's pulled over by the cops. And um, I need to quickly find the Ron Eldard, who plays Officer Gore. He was, um, I think he had, a, he had a really large role in ER. Or, um, yeah, it was ER. He played this uh, ambulance driver who had was a, a love interest for one of the, one of the people. That's one of the things I remember about him. And then he he had some other roles. Uh, I always liked like he's in Deep Impact. He's actually pretty good in Deep Impact. Uh, and then there was another one. He, he is in Black Hawk Down, smaller role. Fuck, where is it? Oh, uh, Super Eight. Mm. Um, I love him in Super 8, but I like Super 8. I'm a little... I've um, never bi- seen Super 8. I'm a little biased from hmm. Super 8. Sweet Talks a Cop gets out of a ticket. Out, gets out of getting caught that he's a blind man driving. <laughs> I do believe this. I really believe that uh, that Frank could talk his way out of this. I agree. It's been well established. He's a smooth talker and is able to kind of take control of any situation. Yeah. And his confidence. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh... But afterwards, the melancholy sets in because now there's really nothing left that would make him happy. Mm-hmm. This whole scene here always makes me feel uncomfortable and is unnecessary. Sorry, which one? This is where he walks into traffic. He falls down, takes a piss in public unnecessary for me yeah this this is where i began to get confused again at this point i'm i have my suspicions that he's maybe actually sick yep so when he just goes to propel himself into traffic that is only uh reaffirmed and whipping out his dick in public as well i'm like okay yeah maybe he's uh maybe he's dying anyway i don't know yeah it it seems uh, knowing that that's not the case now it, it seems a little strange to include this in the movie honestly they go back to the hotel frank is just so defeated and Charlie doesn't know what to do. Uh, he makes another call to George and is told George won't be taking any calls from his friends. Uh, Frankie sends him on some errands, which is so painfully obvious at what's going on. Uh, it's nice that Charlie does realize this, but he should have realized this right away. Mm-hmm. It's so painfully obvious. But yeah, whatever. I mean, we as moviegoers know exactly the the sort of plot points to expect. But even at this point, like we, Charlie knows that Frank is going to kill himself and is is planning on this. Uh, So yeah, the fact that he sends him out of the room on an errand, on a long errand down the block is, uh, or down several blocks should be suspicious. Yeah. Especially when he's acting strange. So yeah, bit dumb that he uh, goes on this errand. Charlie returns because he figures out what's going on. Yeah. And Frank is in his, uh, in his blues. Frank's ready to kill himself. Uh, and then Frank threatens to shoot Charlie. 
because Charlie's life is over anyways. Is Frank actually going to shoot him? No. I mean, he might be doing the whole the whole thing of, uh, you know, they've started to connect, might be trying to alienate Charlie so that he will actually leave him alone. He mm-hmm. may be trying to get Charlie to go, you know what, fine, fucking kill yourself, man. Have at it and walk out of the room because he doesn't want to die. I don't know. I, I don't think he genuinely wants to kill Charlie. I agree. Chris O'Donnell is so flat in this scene. Dude, this this is the... I, I kind of knew it throughout the movie that Chris O'Donnell was not pulling his own weight. Uh, yeah, this, this scene is the most noticeable for me. This scene... Spoiler alert for later on. This scene would possibly be my favorite scene in the movie if there was somebody else in this in Chris O'Donnell's shoes. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. Or some of the other people that were up for this role that I'll explain to you later okay. that will make you so angry. <laughs> that you've been like, oh my God, this might have been my favorite movie of all time if that person got the role. Mm-hmm. Again, we learn that Charlie has integrity. He is not going to leave. He's not going to abandon Frank. Frank tries to kill himself. Charlie tries to stop him. And then Charlie says that they both have to die. He gives two reasons why Frank's to live. Because he can do the tango and drive a Ferrari better than anybody else. Nice little comedic moment. You've never seen anybody do either of those things. Yes. But then he uses the tango analogy that we didn't go over. Where life is like a tango. If you make a mistake, you just keep tangoing. And you tangle your way out of it. Mm -hmm. And that's what he uses. To tango on. Yep, tango on. It's a good line. Some good writing there. Mm-hmm. That's It's where we show one of the many aspects. The main aspect that this movie gets a screenplay nomination is still to come. Let me, let me ask you this. Yeah. What, in your mind, is Frank's primary reason for wanting to kill himself? He's blind. That's it. He is. Yeah. 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 He can't be what he was. Okay. So then... I guess what I'm putting forth here is does the tango analogy actually make sense? Because I think that would make a, when, when I heard that analogy, I thought the implication was he's haunted in some way by a mistake, but I don't, he, as we established already, he seems pretty unaffected by the actual mistake of the exploding grenade or anything he did prior in his life. It's really just the fact that he's blind. Yes. Yeah. So I don't, I, I don't actually know fully if the tango analogy holds up there, really. Gotcha. Is that far out? Is that no, off base? No, it's not. Oh, okay. It's totally understandable. My interpretation of the tango analogy is that you've made a mistake. Mm-hmm. You've lost your eyesight. Mm-hmm. But life Roll is, with it. Yeah. Life okay. isn't over. Yep. Keep hey, now going. you've got no sight. Yeah. Keep on going. Just keep going. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's also fine. Yep. Uh, I don't know if you noticed this, but right here, there's a close-up on Chris O'Donnell that is out of focus. I didn't. Okay. Oh boy. It, it's not it's not horribly out of focus. Mm. But when you have already seen this movie and you can start to look for other things when you're looking at it critically, you notice it. Or and... when you already don't like the movie. <laughs> no, I or you already have problems with the movie. Yeah, I well I don't have a lot of problems with the movie. <laughs> Honestly, 
we'll get to the only problem I have with this movie is Chris O'Donnell. Yeah. The length is a little bit of a problem, but mm-hmm. not enough to reduce my enjoyment. But it's Chris O'Donnell. Yeah, dude. Spoilers for later on. He's the weakest part of this movie, and it's not even fucking close. Yeah. I'll be honest. Chris O'Donnell and the length are the only weak parts of this movie. The rest of the movie is fucking great. Mm-hmm. But what I... That's a good band name right there. Chris O'Donnell and the length. <laughs> the... The joke I was making about there's a close-up of Chris O'Donnell that's out of focus, they probably had to use it because the other takes were even worse. Yeah. That's the only reason that I could think of Wait, why Where's the joke? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then asks for a drink. Hmm. Um, we learn a little bit that Frank is romantic as much as he can be. One of the things that he really wants is for him, for a woman to wrap her arms and legs around him and, and love him. Mm-hmm. I would be under the assumption that because of the way Frank is his entire life, he's probably never felt true love. Yeah. I would also, I <laughs> I would wonder if Frank would uh, wind up being truly monogamous in the end. He he likes pussy a little bit too much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think Frank, I think a blind Frank could be monogamous. Yeah, a, a seeing Frank, maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, they missed their plane. So Manny's going to drive him back. Mm. And in the car, Frank and Charlie discuss the problem, and Charlie doesn't want a rat. And even though he knows that this could cost him his entire academic career, he doesn't want to go against his own integrity. Snitches get stitches. Yeah. Uh, they arrive at Baird. They say their goodbyes. And uh, they go into the disciplinary board meeting. The whole school is there. Rebhorn is so good. I love him as an actor. I think he's great. Mm-hmm. Frank arrives mid-Rebhorn speech. Rebhorn visibly disturbed (laughs) (laughs) who is this and Trask turns his focus to George Jr and he attacks both him and Psh are great in this scene (laughs) I'm chuckling at uh, the shortening of (laughs) Philip Seymour Hoffman to a single onomatopoeia (laughs) they're both really great uh, George struggling to try and dance around answering. Mm. Wanting. The one thing I'll give him is he does want to be loyal to his friends. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, this character, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character, whose name is George. Me, George definitely does have more motivation to keep it zipped. Yeah. Like if he, if this character chose integrity, I would get it. Like, I, I also get Charlie's motivation. I disagree with it, but I get it. George certainly has more reason. So the fact that he uh, he decides to say that maybe, kind of, sort of, I don't know, I saw the shape of my three friends who definitely did this is important because, obviously, it will he will be the foil to, uh, to our protagonist who chooses integrity and is rewarded for it. If I was... An heir to as much money as George Jr. is, most likely some type of 
business tycoon his dad is. Mm. My dad's going to, you know, I'm going to get expelled. Dad's probably going to cut me off. Mm. And I have to rat out T-Bone, Kyle, and Ray <laughs> Yep. to save that inheritance. Those guys are getting thrown under the bus. Guess so, you, eh? I'm telling you right now. Yeah. Tell you right so now. what we've really learned on the podcast <laughs> today is that you're listening if you're listening to this and you're friends with either of us, we will sell you out in a second. Yeah. 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 If Harvard is on the line, or if uh in the case of Rachel, a, a cheeseburger, I guess yeah. I believe was what Manny said. Yeah. You say cheeseburger or hamburger? I said a cheeseburger. Yeah. Is the cheese crucial in that equation? It is. I would not sell Rachel out for a hamburger. Yeah, who orders a hamburger by itself? I I don't think Especially I would... from McDonald's. Yeah, right? It's gotta have the cheese, otherwise what's the point? yeah so the bar is <laughs> the line has been drawn yep rachel knows her precise worth to you at yes this point. <laughs> it is a cheeseburger it's must much much less for mush head yeah. uh <laughs> couple of nuggets yep <laughs> one uh and like you just mentioned george rats out his friends trask turns his attention to charlie who wants to maintain his honor as integrity and threats are issued Charlie still won't bend and this is impressive while Chris O'Donnell's performance in this scene still not good the character's performance not on screen but what he doesn't do he is squirming he is under pressure and he still won't bend I applaud the screenwriting for that for Mm -hmm. that moment Chris O'Donnell's just not good (laughs) Sorry, he's just not. No. And then Trask calls out his disappointment on Charlie. And this is where Frank finally speaks up. For a long time. Oh, I wish. Time. I kind of wish I had known the scene was coming because I would have loved to have timed this. Yes. I maybe wish I could have rewound, but oh well. They... Let's be fully honest. It's this whole scene that wins him the Oscar. Yes and no. I like his his performance is, I'd say I'd go as far as to say very good, up until this point. It it is probably this scene. That, this is the Oscar moment. Yeah, that pushes it over the top. This is the Oscar moment. Yeah, this is the for your consideration. Yes. And there's nothing wrong with that because this scene is just fucking phenomenal. Yeah. He this is Pacino showing off. Look what I can do. Yeah, I have to imagine when the screenwriters wrote this scene. I, I, I'm sure you'll have some trivia on me or on this for me later um, of, of whether he was considered or whether he was in mind for this role when they wrote it. But this part feels like it was tailor made for him. This scene feels like it was tailor made for him. Yeah. Uh, so he calls out the hypocrisy of the punishment. He calls out the bribe. We get the incredibly famous line from this movie. I'll take the flamethrower to this place, mm-hmm. which is a line everybody loves. Uh, and then Frank sings. Uh, Charlie's praises and then we get a big massive round of applause yeah I honestly it, it I like that it, it I wrote in my notes that it's a slow clap but it's not because wow. a slow clap in my mind starts with one individual person and you can distinctly hear the first you can very distinctly hear that so yeah. it's not quite a slow clap but it's like kind of close it's close it's it's a swell it is a swell yeah uh, the committee doesn't even need a closed session. They know their answer within seconds. Yeah, they're like, uh, upon further reflection, fuck the headmaster. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Charlie is excused, and then rapturous applause. Mm-hmm. 
Why? <laughs> like, why would all of these other students care that Charlie didn't get expelled? I don't know. Because, yeah, I, I actually have uh, written in my notes this phrase, Disney-ass ending. It's yes. just, it's, it's, it's a little Disney here. I get it. Like, you have this room full of people and the decision is rendered. It's, this is supposed to be like a courtroom drama at the end here, but it's not. It's just that this kid is going to get expelled where the vast majority of these students don't know who he is and don't care. I, I meant to ask this earlier. I assume that it is. Otherwise, it's weirdly specific. But is this a thing, a disciplinary hearing at a, at a prep school? This seems like a, like a, a sort of thing that I won't say I'd be shocked to learn it would happen, but it just seems like a ridiculous thing to set up a, a mock trial for people accused of something in a, in a school. It feels like the kind of thing that very much shouldn't happen, hmm. but I honestly don't know if it does. Who knows? Yeah. They walk out as the music swells. <laughs> Walking is... down the courtroom steps. Yeah. A free man. Free man. Because he didn't snitch. Um, so Miss Downs comes out. Frank flirts with her. Charms it, her, guesses her scent. It took me a moment. And then I remembered this is 30 years old. That's Barney's mom from How I Met Your Mother. <laughs> As you know, I don't watch that show. I know. I was fucking ecstatic. Yeah. Cool. Uh, I'm glad you could make that connection. I did. It like it took me a good moment. looking. Yeah. Good looking. Not so much anymore. Yeah. But like she was, and I remember that. Like, I remember thinking that when I watched this numerous times in the '90s. I'm like, you know, Miss Downs is is really cute. And then she walks out, and I was like, is that fucking Barney's mom? Mm. And I'm looking and looking. They finally get a full shot of her face. I'm like, it's fucking Barney's mom. <laughs> I'm like, it's fucking Frank Slade. Barney's dad. Anyways, um, they return home, pays Manny. He invites Charlie to a visit. He's nice to the kids. And Frank Slade has become a better man. Only a couple notes on the brief yep. closing here. One, a detail I'm glad I caught. One of the kids we learn is named Willie. Uh, would have been named after his grandfather, uh, Frank's brother, who we met earlier. Yep. Uh, which I think is a nice little writing detail. And two, weird note on the score, which we already sang the praises of. Um, at this point in the movie, an accordion is introduced into the score. Didn't hear it. And it seems like a really weird time at the conclusion of a two-hour and 30-minute movie to just be like, let's get some accordion in there and just introduce it into the score there. So when we were listening to it earlier, you and I tonight, yeah. I was listening. I was like, okay, is there any hint of an accordion in here beforehand that I just missed? And there wasn't. Not... Not a nitpick, not a problem, just felt weird. <laughs> felt like a weird decision. I love that you use that word. Okay. Because Weird Al plays an accordion. Great. It did feel weird then. I love it. Sweet. I love it. That's the movie. That's the movie. That's the whole thing. Are you ready? Yeah. Got some so, trivia for so you. So ready. Let's go. Um, Al Pacino was helped by a school for the blind in his preparation for the role. He said that he made himself appear blind by not allowing his eyes to focus on anything. Yeah. Scene showing the audience the, at the Baird School uh, and depicting it as an all-male boarding school, 
was actually filmed at the Emma Willard School, one of the oldest all-female boarding schools in the country. Weird choice, but okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, Frank's bizarre habit of yelling, hoo is an actual United States Army battle cry, although he is saying it wrong. He places far too much of a W sound on the second syllable. The real version is closer to hoo mm. not hoo uh, according to Pacino, his use of hua was inspired by the armed forces consultant for the movie who had to teach him how to assemble and disassemble his weapon in under 45 seconds with his eyes closed to replicate being blind. He said it took him a long time to learn it, and whenever he nailed it particularly well, the consultant would yell, hua <laughs> Nice. <laughs> um, how many times does Al Pacino say hua in the movie? I am going to go a solid dozen. Twelve. Nice. It's ten. Okay. Well done. Uh, it was reported that in order to make Chris O'Donnell cry <laughs> during <Sorry>. uh, <laughs> during <laughs> Lieutenant Colonel Slade's near suicide scene, Al Pacino had to take him aside and scream at him drill sergeant style. <laughs> I'm sorry. I shouldn't be laughing at that because that's just brutal. Yes. It was probably terrible. Yeah. <laughs> But it's also a little funny. Yeah. Oh, that's all I got for uh, trivia. Okay. But I got some tasty casting for you. Oh, I'm already ready. I'm salivating. All right. all right. These four people were up, were considered for the role for Frank Slate. Dustin Hoffman. Yeah. Um, less menacing than, uh, than Al Pacino. Agreed. But, okay. Harrison Ford. Would have done great. Yeah. Harrison Ford could be a fucking asshole here for sure. Joe Pesci. Yeah. Um, I, I like I like the Al Pacino route. Joe Pesci, for some reason... Yeah, no, no. I mean, he would have been cast fine. He would have been good casting. I think um, Harrison... I, I, you know what it is? And I, I hate to even say this. I think Pesci's a little too small. I agree. To be, uh, to be as menacing. You'd have to have somebody shorter than Chris O'Donnell in that role. Yeah. To even it out. You would. And the last one... I think would have been really good too, Jack Nicholson. Yeah, it would have been obviously fantastic. Yeah, but um, uh, I guess his role in a movie that I haven't seen, but will soon, A Few Good Men, is a very similar role to a very very similar type of personality. Let's say big time. Yeah. Okay. Um, according to an interview with Conan O'Brien in 1997, Sylvester Stallone turned down the role of Frank Slade. Mm, that would have been bad yeah right? <laughs> that would not have been good all right all right these four people are five. Oh, i don't know if you'll know who one of them is um they all tr they all audition for the role of charlie sims okay cole hauser rings a bell but I'm... um the uh stronger silent friend in goodwill hunting the right. Not, the not Casey and not Ben and not Matt. This guy, right? I just pulled up his picture. Yeah. yeah. Okay. More so famous now for his role in Yellowstone. Okay. Which I haven't seen. Anthony Rapp. Do you know who Anthony Rapp is? Nope. Swing and a miss. Okay. There's going to be a lot of these in 1992, aren't no, there? No, the other three I'm going to say you all know for sure. Okay. Anthony Rapp is actually the person that started the allegations against Kevin Spacey. Oh. Yeah. Oh, 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 oh. Okay. Pretty good actor. Right. Most does a lot of stage work. The next three, let's go with this one. Brendan Fraser. 
<laughs> know him. I think he would have been okay. Yep. I agree. What's your history with Brendan Fraser? Not a ton. Okay. Um, I think I've seen The Mummy. If I have, it's a, we're talking like before I was 10 years old, probably. That's uh, a 1990 movie. I cannot wait to rewatch it. Yeah. It's so much fun. Um, Brendan Fraser really kind of fell off the face of the earth right as I was kind of becoming a person. Yep. For lack of a better term. Yep. Um, he is coming back onto the scene, from what I understand. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, he kind of disappeared from film for a while there. Um, I was born in 96. He was really popular kind of like late 90s, early 2000s, right? Yeah, big time. Ben Affleck. Obviously fantastic. Obviously in favor of that. God, he would have been. I think he would have been good. I think so, too. These next two, though, if right now you're like, if they would have gotten this role, this movie would have been nearly perfect. Sorry, for Charlie? For Charlie. Okay. Can I just give you one right now that I don't know if it was considered, but I suspect that they probably were, because if Ben Affleck was considered, probably Matt Damon was considered. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I would have... that closing my eyes looking at charlie i could see that 100 percent. wouldn't that be amazing that would be just great casting i have someone even a little bit better okay hit me who's maybe just a little bit of a better actor than matt damon like leo nailed, <laughs> nailed it yeah 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 both would have been great unbelievable yeah this would have been well i guess this is pre goodwill hunting by a good five years now yep so matt damon's probably probably real young he is uh, um and but, i guess leo as well too yeah. yep Leo's Leo's really young. Yeah. Um, well, he had what's eating Gilbert Grape in '93, right? And yep. he's like, he's probably late teens in that movie, isn't he? Mid. Yeah. Mid teens. Okay. Yeah. So he, Leo may have even been a touch too young. He would he would have looked the age he should have for this role. Probably. Yeah. I think Matt Damon would have been great personally. I 100. percent Yeah. But there is a year. Or sorry, there is a year. So Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, Brendan Fraser, Cole Hauser, uh, an, an actor I don't know by name called Randall Battenkoff, Anthony Rapp all tried out for the role of Charlie Sims. That same year, all six of them and Chris O'Donnell star in a movie called School Ties, another boarding school drama. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, Randall Battenkoff, known for the films For Keeps, School Ties, and Higher Learning. He's in Higher Learning? Okay, shit. Okay, I gotta look this guy up. Okay. Higher, higher Learning is decent uh he plays the character chad Shadowhill. 1995 higher learning that's the the best i got for you he's also carol's dayton as good as it gets that doesn't he's ring a bell buffy as well and he's in good as as good as it gets yeah carol's bit part. date doesn't ring a bell yes he's the piece of shit that gets all grossed out when he gets his hand in in snot right yes i remember that guy Okay, I don't, I don't recognize him. Hmm. Oh, he's just he's got a he's got a minor role in um, uh, in higher learning. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, favorite quote? I've got six. Go for it. Okay. First one is the only long one. Women, what can you say? Who made him? God must have been a fucking genius in the hair. They say the hair is everything, you know. Have you ever buried your nose in a mountain of curls? Just want to go to sleep forever? Or lips? And when they touched yours were like that first swallow of wine after you just crossed the desert. Tits! <laughs> hoo Big ones, little ones. Nipples staring right out at you like secret searchlights. Mm. Legs! 
I don't care if they're Greek columns or secondhand Steinways. What's between them? Passport to heaven. I need a drink. Yes, Mr. Sims. There's only two syllables in this whole wide world worth hearing. Pussy. <laughs> ha! Are you listening to me, son? I'm giving you pearls here. Pretty good. Pretty good reading. I like that. About halfway through, I started trying to do it. Yeah. Uh, number two. From Lieutenant Colonel Frank Slade. The day we stop looking, Charlie, is the day we die. Mm-hmm. Number three. From Mr. Slade. hoo Number four. From Flying Slade. I'm going to try and do it. This is more in the reading of the line than the line itself. And it's one of the moments in the movie I really like. What life? I ain't got no life. I'm in the dark here. You understand? I'm in the dark. It's pretty good. Not bad. Mm. Yeah, went a little uh, went a little New York. I did. Yeah. I did. Uh, I, number five is from Frank Slate again. When in doubt, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and the last one is the poem. Mr. Trax is our fearless leader, a man of learning, a voracious reader. He can recite the Iliad in ancient Greek while fishing for trout in a rippling creek. Endowed with wisdom of judgment sound, nevertheless about him the questions abound. How does Mr. Trask make such wonderful deals? Why did the trustees buy him jaguar wheels? He wasn't conniving. He wasn't crass. He merely puckered his lips and kissed their ass. <laughs> oh, man. Those are good. Um, we talked a little bit off air about these best quotes. Yes. Uh, I decided to omit a couple of the longer ones, much like you did. Yes. Um, and a couple of mine are part of longer phrases. Beauty. Um, with that disclaimer, I have nine. I found this to be pretty quotable. It is very cool. Uh, number one, legs. I don't care if they're <laughs> Greek columns or secondhand Steinways. Uh, number two, oh, uh, Charlie, about your little problem. There are two kinds of people in this world. Those who stand up and face the music and those who run for cover. Cover is better. <laughs> uh, number three, uh, as I mentioned earlier, don't shrug, imbecile, I'm blind. Uh, number four, goodbye, Willie. I'm no fucking good. I never have been. Oh, I like that one. Uh, number five, touch me again, I'll kill you, you, you little son of a bitch. I touch you. Understand? Uh, number six, uh, I believe this is when... By the way, we should just acknowledge, is there a single quote on either of our lists that isn't Frank? Yeah, my poem. Oh, the, yeah, okay, fair <laughs> enough. I think uh, all of mine are Frank. Um, number one, two, three, four, five, six, I believe, um, is when Frank is getting fitted and Charlie asks him how he's doing. He says, super, superior, superfluous. <laughs> uh, seven is in that same scene uh the tailor hurts him a little pokes him a little bit and he says prego i love it when you hurt me <laughs> uh number eight charlie if you don't sing now the last word you'll ever hear yourself say is have a nice day and come back soon <laughs> uh and number nine it's all right charlie you break my heart son all my life i've stood up to everyone and everything because it made me feel important you do it because you mean it. You've got integrity, Charlie. I don't know whether to shoot you or adopt you. Never nice. mind. My favorite quote is arguably the most famous or second most famous line in this movie. Hooah! 
That's that's basically the only one I know from this movie. So that's, the fl- uh, I'll take a flame for this place is the other one. Oh, okay, I didn't realize that was actually famous it's until you said it. Everybody, everybody said it in the nineties. Mm, okay. Uh, gosh, this is a tough one. There's a lot of good lines in this movie. The one that honestly sticks out to me, and the one that I listed first because it was the most memorable, is the one I'm gonna go with, which is legs. I don't care if they're Greek <laughs> columns or secondhand Steinways. All right, I love it. Uh, favorite scene? I've got seven. Um. I got the poem for Trask, uh, Thanksgiving dinner, the tango, driving the Ferrari, Frank trying to kill himself, Trask interrogating George, and then Frank unleashes his monologue. All right. I have five. Okay. Frank and Charlie's first conversation, their meeting. Okay. Uh, Number two, Frank lets Charlie in on his plan at the restaurant. Okay. Uh, Number three... Frank's Brothers for dinner. Uh, number four, The Tango. Number five, Pacino Rand. All right. My favorite scene is The Tango. That's surprising to me. Uh, for uh, Maybe it shouldn't be surprising because it is a good scene, and, and I know how much you liked it. For me, it was pretty clearly the ending yep. with Pacino's rant. Yeah, I've always liked The Tango. It's always been my favorite. Okay, cool. Uh, closing I, credits. I guess I shouldn't be surprised also because you're a very adept dancer yourself. <laughs> no. Not at those. Not at tango? I not at the partner dance? I can't do... No, definitely not partner dances. And I can't do dances that require steps uh, that have a... Ha, that have a, for lack of a better word, like a set, set of rules. Yeah. I, I can just keep a beat, my body to a beat. Mm. But, like, I can't two-step to save my life. I can't waltz. I can't tango. Fuck, man. I, 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 was, with it. I, was just, uh, I was just at a wedding uh, this past weekend and uh the i steered clear of the dance floor didn't step foot on the dance floor one time <laughs> and i had the conversation with some of my relatives when i was living in alberta the amount of times i went out to a club and people were line dancing is just frightening frankly everybody in alberta knows how to line dance it's amazing segue hmm. i'm going to assume you know what the macarena is you are, yes okay it's only it only plays at every wedding forever for all time. Still, it wasn't at the one I was just at actually. Okay, at least not when I was there. I haven't early. seen it at any weddings I've been to in the last ten years. Come to think of it, yeah, that's a little. It's pretty true. Okay, I think it, it's developed a reputation as a bit of a cliche at this point. Fair, but what I will never forget about the Macarena is I remember seeing it for the first time before it became a joke. I was at a nightclub in Victoria. I was there visiting my sisters and I went out to a nightclub and I walked in and all of a sudden that song came on that I'd never heard this fucking hick boy from Kamloops. And all of a sudden like the song comes on and you can hear like the screams of the girls that are excited and you can feel the buzz. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And then I watch and I'd never seen this before. All these people do the same dance in the club. Mind blowing. I was like, what the fuck is this? I come back to Kamloops. I tell all my friends about it. I'm like, I don't know what the name of the song is. I'm like, I think I got the dance moves down. It looks something like this. It's super fucking cool. Like, it was unbelievable. I was like, that sounds wicked. I'm like, it was wicked. I'm like, the whole bar was dancing the same dance. Within two months, it, it comes to Kamloops and became like a sensation. A, a sensation. Hmm. So I'm not saying it originated in, Vic- in Victoria. That's not what I'm saying at all. That's where I first saw it. And dude, it was fucking exhilarating to see it hmm. 
Oh, and uh, actually, we are kind of in the right timeline for it. We're in 1992, Scent of a Woman, Macarena 1993, apparently. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that tracks because I was 18. How did I get into a bar when I was 18? Oh, no. You, you I, scoundrel. No, because it would have been it would have been like the next year or two because the Macarena coming out, it wouldn't have been. Oh, you know what? So uh, the Los Del Rio uh, version 1993 release uh, but the Bayside Boys mix the m- most popular one in uh, in our society anyway August 1995 I was gonna say 95 yeah. fuck yes awesome wicked alright closing credits are there any Oscar worthy performances in this film it did win one it and did. I think we've established um, regardless of what happens with the other nominees in this category definitely a worthy performance uh, of a nominee yeah of a win, I, I have no problem with it having only seen one of the movies. Two. Or, sorry, what was the other one again that I've seen? Clint Eastwood. Thank Unforgiven. you. Yeah, but I don't feel strong enough giving an opinion on that movie. Fuck. This is a really good fucking year. Yeah. Um, James Rebhorn? Supporting? I mean, sure. Again, I... I uh, it, these are always tough to do at the beginning of the series because I already haven't seen a bunch of these. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if you want to give it... I, I never felt like he was outstanding or anything. He's just... Uh, I, I'm not trying to insult this man. He's always just doing a good job of whatever's asked of him. <laughs> he, I don't think he ever wows me, and I don't think he's ever really trying to. Yep. He's, he, he is trying to blend into the movie and be the part, which I can totally respect. I've seen all these performances, but not recently, except for two. Gene Hackman, the winner for Unforgiven. He's not taking that one out. Mm-hmm. And Jack Nicholson for A Few Good Men. Who I imagine was probably considered a snub at the time. Jack Nicholson, A Few Good Men? Like, as far as not winning? No. Is that not considered a fantastic performance? Yes. But is Gene Hackman considered even more so? Yes. <laughs> okay. I'm really excited to rewatch that movie. I barely remember it. Oh, I'm so excited. I remember loving it. Yes. But... So do I. <laughs> <laughs> um, what other aspects of the film were award-worthy? So it got direction, screenplay, and picture. I think that's great. Uh, Not cinematography? Nope. Score? Uh, yeah, I can get on board with the score. Again, um, not going to be too familiar with the ones that are already in there. But uh, for score, who do we have? Aladdin? Yeah, that's a good one. Basic Instinct, which you will hear next week. Okay. Chaplin, which you will hear in about a month. Mm-hmm. Howard's End, which we'll hear sometime soon. I bet that's pretty hoity-toity. <laughs> and A River Runs Through It, which I just watched, and I can honestly say I don't remember the score. Okay. This score isn't good enough for me to give it a... I like it's it. It's pretty good. It's all right. Yeah. It's far and away the best 1992 score. <laughs> the best score of any 1992 movie we reviewed so far. Fair enough. Hands down. Uh, yeah, I can't. It's not getting an editing. There wasn't any. No. I think I think it got exactly what it was supposed to. Even direction might be a little generous. I think direction is incredibly generous, and you're going to find that out as we move along. Yeah, okay. I, uh, I, I feel the screenplay is a great pick. If... If I didn't know it got nominated for anything and you asked me what does it deserve, I probably just would have listed screenplay. And that would have been about it. Weak link of the film. Sorry, Chris. Mr. O'Donnell. Uh, you, you are the weakest link. Yeah. And it's not even close. No. Nope. If you, The only other one we talked about was the length. The length. 
if you could remove one, what would you wear? I would rather have Al Pacino talking to nobody because <laughs> he almost is. Yeah, I agree. He's really bad. Yep. Was this anyone's career highlight? So yeah, this is a uh, this is always an interesting one. Al Pacino, of course, wins the Oscar. Yes. Uh, the only Oscar win in his career. Yes. Uh, we were talking about this before. Can't remember on or off air, but obviously a uh, a, a historical snub for Godfather Two, one of the all time great movie performances. Yeah. Um, so I think just about anybody would say that Michael Corleone is the career highlight for Al Pacino. I can get on board with saying winning the Oscar does it, but like when Al Pacino dies, uh, may that be in a long time. Uh, but when it happens, what what's the clip that gets the applause at the Oscars when they play it? You know, if when they play the when they play the package, the tribute package, uh, are people? Gonna, it's gonna be Michael Corleone. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. That's his highlight. I uh, agree. This is this is this would be like my. And it's un it's an unfair, but this would be like a question. Like if we were to ask, let's say, let's say Jordan, mm -hmm. what's the name of the character Al Pacino plays in Godfather? She'll probably get it. Oh yeah. If I ask her what's the name of the character she plays in Scent of a Woman, I can tell you right now, I would not have gotten it prior to rewatching this movie. Mm -hmm. Nor I mean, I certainly wouldn't have. Yeah. Um. It's not Chris O'Donnell's. I mean, he didn't get a Razzie for it, so there's that. Yeah, but his career highlight is being on 15 seasons of NCIS. Yeah. It's it's not. Psh. No, he would go on to have a long and illustrious career. I wonder if this is James Rebhorn's. Personally, I will, even after having seen this movie, I will associate him with the game. Yeah, because you saw the game first. Yeah. Yep. Because for me, I saw this first, so this is what I think about when I think of him. Interesting. Even though I know for, I know for a fact that you like the game better than this. Yes. What about James Rebhorn specifically in each of those movies? Do you have a preference? Yeah, this. This. Yeah. Okay. I like him in the game. He's fun in the game, but I th I think he's delightfully almost evil in this movie. Yeah. Cool. Oh, I was a little too far away from Mike. Sorry about that. Yeah, that's okay. <clears throat> that's why I was repeating um, what you were saying. So, will this make anyone's highlight reel? Definitely Pacino. I mean, it'll probably make Chris O'Donnell's highlight reel. It'll make... It's Pacino, O'Donnell, Rebhorn, mm -hmm. and that's it. It's not going to make... Psh. No. no. Uh, this is this is a footnote. Yep. Philip Seymour Hoffman. And that's it. Gabrielle Anwar. Sure. This might be her career highlight. It's the only thing I've seen her in. MVP of the film. It's, it's Pacino. Yeah. Def like, in the same way that uh, Chris O'Donnell is far and away the weak link. The, Al L the, Al L the LVP? Yeah. The the anti-Chris O'Donnell Al Pacino <laughs> is, uh, is doing all the heavy lifting here. This had, what, a 59 meta score? Yeah. If this has a lesser... If this casts Stallone instead, take off another 15 on the metascore i'd say even more yeah i think this is a yeah low 40s high 30s yeah this movie's not good without pacino like literally not good no what will be this film's legacy the film that won pacino's oscar yeah that's basically the only thing i knew about it going in and it'll be the only thing i think about going out yeah 100 percent. 
Would you watch this movie again? I think I will. It's going to probably be a while. Um, I'm never going to feel compelled to, but like I, I'm not going to resist it if the opportunity comes. I will definitely watch this movie again. I've watched this movie 15 times, mm-hmm. if not if not more. Um, especially in the 90s. Like I said, in the 90s, like this movie was on TV often, and I owned it, so I would put it on all the time basically to watch the tango and watch the end of the movie. So yeah, I'd watch this movie. Would you recommend this movie to friends? Probably not, honestly. Ooh, wow. I don't know. I I don't I don't think I would. I think there's there's better movies out there. Better prep school movies? There's one. Dead Poet Society. Yep. Yeah. That's that's the one that comes to mind for sure. Is there another one? Well, there are other ones. Yeah, there are other ones. Just is there another obvious one that I'm missing? Dead Poets is like the, easily the first one that comes to mind. I, I don't think another obvious one that you've seen. Yeah. Okay. I would recommend this movie to friends, for sure. Yeah, totally. Check out Al Pacino's Oscar-winning performance. It's worth it for that. Yep. If if there's somebody who's particularly into acting, sure. Yep. Yep. Final thoughts, Sam. Yeah. Um. One that had been on my radar for a little bit. Glad that I checked it out. Uh, this neither severely disappointed me nor overwhelmed me with joy. It was it was kind of middle of the road. It certainly has some problems with the pacing, with the uh, with the performances of a couple of people not named Al Pacino or Philip Seymour Hoffman or James Rebhorn. Um, but you know, I had a, I had a good enough time with it. Has some pacing problems. Has some problems with the acting. Not the most technically proficient film. Barring a couple of nice shots, I pointed out the one in the first scene between Chris O'Donnell and Al Pacino. Um, yeah, I was whelmed. <laughs> I probably won't think about this movie for a while, if I'm being honest. Wow. <laughs> I can't wait for T-Bone to find out. <laughs> um, I've always liked this movie, and I was looking forward to this rewatch because it's been well over 10, 10 to 15 years since I watched this last time. And my... Hmm. I'd started to grow my memories of it. It started to grow to dislike this movie because I'm still bitter over Al Pacino's win. While 100% deserved, it wasn't the best performance of the year. And that's what I'll always have a problem with. But upon rewatching it, I was glad to see that I was reminded that this actually is a really great performance worthy of an Oscar. It just happened to come at the expense of a much more worthy winner, in my opinion. I had a good time. I was also reminded of how mediocre of an actor that Chris O'Donnell is. And I'll be honest, he does. He's not much better in anything else. I will say this. I can't recall him being this flat in the other movies. But he's not good. When was the last time you watched Batman and Robin? When it came out. Yeah. I don't I wouldn't whatever Chris O'Donnell does in that movie, I would not lay at his feet. Cuz I'm pretty sure I out of the, there's four, one of my favorite actors is in that movie and I bet you I'm not going to like it. 
Sense of Woman is entirely enjoyable. It's it's two hours and thirty six minutes long. It needs to be two hours long. There's some pretty easy cuts in there. Overall, a movie I enjoyed. And a good start to nineteen ninety two. Sammy Boy. What's your rating of Scent of a Woman? On the rubric of uh, of star ratings, the th- this is purely my definition. The definition of a three in a in a sentence: a good movie with problems. This encapsulates that perfectly in my mind. It was a th- it was a three when I watched it. It's a, occasionally uh, the discussion can sway me one direction or another. At, at no point was this in danger of being anything other than a three, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> This is a four for me. Yeah. yeah, I definitely got a lot more enjoyment out of this movie. Uh, I think, all honesty, I think part of it is my nostalgia and growing up with this movie, watching it so many times. Mm-hmm. And my enjoyment, basically, really my enjoyment of the tango and the and the finale in this movie. Sam, what do we got going on next week? Whew. One uh, speaking of movies that have been on my radar, nice. this is one that I have seen ripped off homage referenced more times than i can count yeah a hugely cultural important culturally important movie mm-hmm. i don't think that's an, an overstatement no it's not uh episode 212 we're going to be continuing with 1992 and talking about the erotic thriller yes basic instinct sam have you seen this movie before i haven't i i mentioned to you a couple weeks ago actually uh this has obviously been on our radar. We planned these episodes out months in advance. Yep. So we've known this one's coming. Um, I was in a bar in Vancouver. That's right. Uh, where there was movies playing without sound on a screen. And uh, I found myself drawn to watching Basic Instinct uh, just briefly on, on the screen there. Subtitles? Yes. Uh-oh. Yeah. Okay. So, cool. Um, so, you know, a couple of the scenes in the beginning I, I might uh, be familiar with. Mainly, I wanted to be on the lookout for the scene. Like, the, the, the famous scene. Yes. <clears throat> so since it's a movie you haven't seen, mm-hmm. even though you've seen uh, appears to be a scene or two in it, yeah. it's time for the ever popular <laughs> Sam predicts the movie's plot. Yeah. The movie is called Basic Instinct. Other than Sharon Stone, do you even know who's in it? Uh yes, because uh Newman <laughs> okay. uh is uh, is in that same scene. All right. Oh and um uh douglas michael douglas okay yeah so what is basic instinct about sam uh so my my actual real guess is uh there is a uh, a crime there's a murder that needs to be solved it's a murder investigation movie okay uh and the i believe the primary suspect is an incredibly foxy sharon stone all right and uh i believe uh shenanigans tomfoolery <laughs> and Lots and lots of sex uh, will ensue. Excellent. All right. Well, we'll find out next week if you were correct on your assessment. (laughs) Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. If you give us a five-star rating and a positive review, increases the profile of our podcast, allows more people to find us. You can also give us a rating on Spotify. We would greatly appreciate it. It just takes mere moments for you to do so. Every little rating we get helps us grow our audience. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sam underscore Manny underscore movie. You can follow us on Facebook at the Samuel Manuel Movie Podcast. You can email us at sammanningmoviepodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Letterboxd at Manny42 and Sam Reimer. One word, is that right? 
That's correct. Two words? One word? One, one word. word. One word, Sam Reimer. Uh, and if you are on Letterboxd and you want us to follow you, let us know. We are big fans of that app. Platform? Platform. Thank you. Sure. Yeah. Big fans. It's probably what I probably the app I use the most. Besides uh, my besides my podcast app. Yeah. No, I uh, I mean we sing Letterboxd praises all the time. Oh, maybe Facebook Messenger because we're on. Oh yeah, because we're on the group chat yeah. a lot. Yeah, group chats plural. Right. So it's top five. It's top five. Top five app for me. Makes the list. All right. Um, that's it. All right. So for the Samuel and Manuel movie podcast, I'm Manny Manuel. Hooah! I'm Sam Reimer. Adios.